Welcome to Hami Media Group, or as the cool kids say, HMG. We're here to provide you with the very best entertainment alternative media has to offer. Thank you to all our supporters who have made us what we are today. Follow us on social media, video, and podcast platforms at Hameen Media Group. Become a subscriber to Hameen Media Group at Patreon.com for great free daily content as well as off-the-top rope extras. Subscribe to our affiliate Patreon channels with a plethora of fun content on various tiers that will bring tears of joy to your eyes. Vince Russo's The Brand, The Rip Rogers FR Podcast, Stevie Ray TV, Goldilocks, The A Show with Aaron Stevens and April Hunter, The Two-Man Power Trip, Velvet Sky and Angelina Love, The Beautiful People, and now... The Larry Hankin Stories. Support your favorite HMG and independent pro wrestling talent at ProWrestlingTees.com. Enjoy the ultimate meal with Zordo's Ultra Premium Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Head over to ZordosOliveOil.com. Start your day with the best cup of joe, bro. Try a fantastic selection of flavorful coffee blends at TheBrosters.com. StevieRichardsFitness.com. Get off that couch and make a healthy change without leaving your home. Amazing resistance band and yoga workout programs at an affordable price that will help you become a band new you. Hear from the pros who live the biz, bro, with talent that have worked for every major organization led by the man who put the attitude back in pro wrestling and in your ear holes. It's got to be russosbrand.com bro again we'd like to thank you for joining us here at hmg and now it's time to be entertained Through the years, we all remember when we first witnessed a national tragedy. We remember the good times and the bad times through either a song, a TV show, a monumental sports achievement, or even the smell of a particular food from when we were young. Welcome to the show that will take you on a journey through time to relive those iconic moments. Welcome. RTW Rewind, where old school rules. So, without any further delay, let's introduce you to the host of the show, Rad Rob Rob Francois. Hey guys, welcome back to RTW Rewind. I'm your host, Rad Rob Rob Francois. I hope everybody's doing well all around the world, and thank you for being here. We are also live on YouTube, on the Hameen Media Group YouTube page. I have a very special guest with me. He is a returning guest to the show. Uh, we spoke last year, right about when the pandemic was was, uh, was about to hit. Glad to have him back. It is former WWF superstar, AWA superstar, uh, former one half of the Killer Bees tag team with B. Brian Blair. It is my friend, Jumping Jim Brunzel. Brunzy, how's it going, buddy? Good to have you here. Very good. Thanks, Rob, for having me. You know, I mean, time flies by and, you know, we were talking uh, before uh, uh, your show aired about uh, the heat in the Midwest and holy smoke. So, you know, it's uh, <laughs> every day is an adventure. Yeah, it, it really is. And and yeah, you were saying it's 
you know, upwards of 95 degrees in Minnesota in June. That's, uh, I was saying, I can't imagine what July and August are going to be, man. It's going to, ooh, you might need some sunscreen there, brother. Well, we haven't had very much rain, so thank God for that, because otherwise we would have mosquitoes the size of bees here, you know. Because <laughs> it's, it's bad. Yes, yeah. and wood ticks, too. They, I mean, the ticks are all over. I don't know they, if you yeah, have a we, problem. We, yeah, oh, we have them here, too. Uh, we have we have a new puppy, uh, a new Maltese, and she's about seven mm. weeks old, and she likes to oh. get in, in the weeds and all that. And she's got a couple ticks already this year. So, oh yeah. boy, I know. You know, I mean, that Lyme disease here is just—it's run rampant over the last probably decade. And I mean, it's—you get people that uh, get infected with that, and it's a—it's <laughs> an ongoing battle for months. You know, so yeah, it really be is. careful walking in the woods. <laughs> that's right so sure you uh, got your deed on you yeah exactly do they even have that anymore i'm not even not even sure well, if you can get it i think that along with the bear spray you know right right <laughs> <laughs> so we uh we we haven't talked in, in a in a while uh i had you on last year and we had a great conversation uh then the pandemic hit uh briefly what was what was that like for you during that whole time because uh, i know i'm sure minnesota was one of the the, the more locked down states in the union? Well, see, my, my business, uh, janitorial sales, is a company called Delco Enterprises. Uh, we sell a ton of PPE and we sold a ton of, you know, masks and hand sanitizers and disinfectants. And all of a sudden it dried up, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, here we had, and I remember our company had, three million dollars in back orders in one month just on disinfectants and hand sanitizers and the problem was you know the supply chain and they had you know they had so many people getting it first you know the hospitals and the first responders and this and that and then boom down the chain you come but i remember ordering uh hand sanitizers for people in june and july and they wouldn't get it until february wow and it was it was horrible. And I mean, you know, everybody was closed down. You couldn't get in. You know, I mean, uh, like we talked before, the Mall of America is my biggest account. And they were closed for 11 months, period. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's a huge, huge mall. I mean, uh, ugh, it's gigantic. So how was your company able to survive with everything shut down? Well, I... You know, this company, and it's a family-owned, and, and we have five branches. And when you think of what they did last year, they did it last year in, in 2020. They did $82 million. That's what they grossed, which is a lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it it, it, it the, to maintain a building, no matter what it is, whether it's a school, whether it's a hospital, it, it you know, it takes in all sorts of things, paper, you know, uh, disinfectants, like I said, and, and different cleaning supplies and equipment. And equipment is a huge part of uh, maintenance. And yeah. uh, we have a company up here called Tenant, which makes some of the best equipment in the world. And, you know, they're a great partner. And, uh, you know, thank God for Tenant because they, you know, uh, we'd sell unbelievable amounts of, you know, product from them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
personally, how did you get through uh, everything that was going on? Did you try to stay at home a lot or did you? Uh, well, you know, I was, I, I you know, I, I think everybody here who is pretty reasonable in the Midwest, you know, uh, we shot in, you know, quite a bit and we wore the masks and, and, you know, I, I was trying to get the vaccine for, I don't know how long. And then, Finally, we, you know, we got the vaccine in, I think it was February. And then our second shot was in March. Mm -hmm. So it was good. And I, you know, I, that was the hardest thing trying to get lined up, you know, because, you know, I'm over 65 and my wife is over 65 and we were trying to find a place, you know, we had friends that drove from St. Paul all the way, almost to Fargo, North Dakota which is 240 miles just to get a shot, you know, and, and they did that on two different occasions. So, and I, I think that, um, you know, uh, the mass deal, it was funny, uh, Rob, because I remember the very first time I went to Japan in 1974, I, I didn't know anybody. I flew over there, boom. And, and I worked for, um, all Japan giant Baba. And I, I got off this uh, plane and then we, we took this train to Hokkaido, which is the North Island. So I get off this train and, and I, I'm walking out with these people and all these people had these masks on. Yeah. And I, and, and I asked our tour guide, this Joe Higuchi, I said, Joe, what's going on? And he says, very bad pollution. Yeah. So the, all the citizens have to wear it, but you'd be surprised that even when you went to Tokyo, they still had the pollution, but it was sort of a sign of um, personal hygiene that you would protect people around you by keeping a mask on you. So if you had a cold or something, you know, so I, I thought that was real unique because I'd never seen that, you know, and I was, I don't know how, how old I was. I guess I was, you know, 24 or 23 when I went over there and I thought, man, that's something. I mean, I, I mean, we're talking the whole city where masks, I mean, everywhere you went. And, and then when they had the masks here, uh, first of all, they were hard to get, you know, because uh, the people in the hospitals and the first responders and, you know, the nursing homes had to get them. And then, and then the, you know, there's a political deal about it. And then, you know, oh, I'm not going to wear the mask. It's against my, you know, my liberties and this and that. Nobody's going to force me. So I'm just glad that now that finally, you know, most of the people have gotten, you know, one or two shots. So we're approaching that herd immunity that we need so drastically to be able to open up, you know, as a country again. Yeah. Uh, did you but know I, anybody that's I, sick or I'm sorry, let me interrupt you. Well, I, I got to tell you a year ago in January, I made a shot in, this was before, this was right when COVID was coming to the States. Mm -hmm. And, and I did a shot in New Jersey and I was coming back and this kid behind me was coughing so bad. And I mean, I, I, le I told, I, I leaned back a couple of times and I said, please, you know, cover your mouth. Cause he wasn't covering his mouth. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize this kid was really sick. So I finally told the stewardess, I said, please, I said, either I got to have another seat or, you know, I'm going to whap this kid. You know, I, I told him twice. I said, for God's sakes, you know, and three days later, I got sick. Oh, wow. And, and I had a 102 temperature and I couldn't get out of bed and I had a horrible cough. And then my wife got it and she, mm -hmm. same thing, three or four days. 
And Rob, honest to God, since then, I lost my se- a sense of smell. I can't smell anymore. Still? Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, it's funny because I had, um, had, I had two surgeries after that on my knee mm-hmm. and I took, I took a COVID test and by then, uh, you know, there was no sign of any, you know, any yeah. uh, buildup in my body, you know, yeah. anybody's that would show that I had it. But uh, I had to have had it because I still can't smell. You know, my wife said the same thing. She thought she had it the December prior in 2019 uh, because she was horribly sick and all that. And, um, you know, we ended up all getting it around Christmas time, uh, mm. 2020. We had the whole family over my in-laws, my oh, my, wife, my wife's ninety-year-old wow. grandmother uh, who's diabetic, and we all oh, got man. it. We don't know who started it. We don't know who the super spreader was, but we all ended up getting it. Um, I didn't have a fever. My wife did for a couple days. I was more tired, like super tired. I couldn't get out of bed. I was very, very yes, yep. Um, I had chest and, and and nasal congestion, and I we all did lose our taste of smell and uh we lost our sense of taste and smell for about four or five days but man that sucks i'm really sorry to hear that he still can't smell um i can't that's horrible that's good in some way but bad in the other you know yeah you can't tell if you need to change the trash or not because that's right and you know i can't smell the food anymore and now now, smell it does you know help you taste things have you lost You lost your a little bit of your taste too, or I think so. Yeah. You know, I still eat like a horse, but it's, <laughs> it's more it's more out of habit, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we all you survived. Know, just, you know, I, I had oh, a couple friends. God. I had a couple friends that I know that 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 unfortunately didn't. Uh, it, it was it was hit or miss. It, it, it affected everybody differently. Um, so you know, some people didn't have symptoms at all and, and got it. Uh, it was just a weird, a weird virus. Um, Horrible. But I'm glad. You know, I'm glad that we're starting to, you know, finally come out of that. Uh, oh, me too. I, I, my yeah, uncle, but... who was 83, uh, I had some, he was a vet, so I, I went to vet's hospital, and this was before COVID, mm-hmm. and uh, he had he had some uh, irregularity in his heart, and I went and saw him, and, and things were good, and, and um, then about just a couple months ago, uh, he winds up getting sick, Mm-hmm. And they brought him to the hospital at, at vets and they said, well, you have COVID and they put him on a um, ventilator and two days later he died. And, and it was just like that. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Boom. And there was just nothing, you know, and, and um, that happens in so many instances. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you think of all those, I mean, almost 600,000 people in this country. Dying from COVID, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I and I don't know if there is a, uh, a documentary on a Netflix, and it's called Pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched it, and it, I don't know how many episodes it has, but they were talking about this five to seven years ago about these things that were going to pop up, and yeah. ab- about these, you know, uh, COVID type SARS and whatever it was and and they had uh, I think it was one or two couples that were involved they they got uh, like five million dollars from the Gates Foundation 
and they're working on, uh, still they're working on a vaccine and the vaccine won't come out until 2023 that will work against five different viruses. Wow. That's something. So, that's a, that's a yeah. heck of a, uh, of a vaccine. Boy. Hello, this is former WWE superstar Tito Santana, and you are listening to the best pro wrestling podcast out there, RTW Rewind. Arriba! RTW Rewind. I do want to talk about your book because sure. it's, a, it, it's a very, very good book. Uh, and I like the fact that you said, you know, we talked off air that you put it together yourself because, you know, if you charge a publisher to do it, they're going to, you know, put you through the, through the ringer. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for, for someone that, that, you know, put a book together themselves, it's a really, it, it's really well put together. I love, you know, the table of contents, you get pictures all out all throughout the book. It's a very, very good book. It's called Matlands. Uh, I do have a picture I'll throw up on the screen right here somewhere. Got him. Jimmy, I'm 45 years old, and I, I still have trouble with, with, <laughs> with technology. There we go. Matt Lance. There it is. And that, and that picture, Rob. That's a good-looking that picture. Yeah, I was five years old, and I was in the Atoll of Kwajalein Island, which is in the Marshall Islands. My dad was a Navy pilot. He flew air-sea rescue. And we were stationed in Kwajalein for a year, 14 months, and they had no school. And the island itself was a mile and a half long and uh, a half to three quarters of a mile wide. And it was all coral. And it was the Japanese controlled it during World War II. And there was still live armaments on the beaches. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Um, every, every day it was 85 degrees. Every right. day. You know, boom. So, so uh, did you enjoy your time there? Well, you know, I was so young, and, and you it was funny. Yeah, well, I, my dad, uh, being in the Navy, we, when I was, well, up until about 12 years old, I, I was living all over. We lived in, in California, Tennessee, um, Maryland, Virginia, and uh, out in the Kwajalein Atoll, and then in 19, you know, 60. I think 61, we came back to Minnesota and then my dad retired. But uh, I remember it was funny because this, um, we we're in Memphis, Tennessee, and I saw uh, Elvis Presley on Ed Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a real conservative Navy guy, you know. So I said to my dad, I, t- I said to my dad, I said, I want to be just like him. I want to play guitar. You know, I want to be a rock and roll. So, about four, le- four weeks later, Rob, he takes me over to a music store and he buys me an accordion. <laughs> so, so, he, so I wind up being Myron Floor and, and you know, and uh, I can't remember who it was. What was that? I got the uh, uh, Lawrence Welk. Lawrence yeah. Welk show is probably before your time. But um, so my grandfather sort of- actually, I saw syndicated reruns of it. my grandfather would watch that every every oh day. god my folks would watch that religiously and <laughs> yeah. so consequently i uh i ditched the accordion and uh got involved with uh football and athletics and i never i tried to play guitar a couple times but i tried during my wrestling career and my fingers were all knobbed up and i just could never finger that fretboard and you know ooh, i was so 
know. But I can play a hell of an air guitar. <laughs> <laughs> we all can. We all can. Yeah, um, isn't that you, something? It's a really good book. It's a very, it's a very good read. It's an easy read. I, I like the fact that it's not. It's an autobiography, but it's not too in depth. You know what I mean? It's just, it's light. There's fun stories. Um, there's, I mean, there's nothing really, you know, sad. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's a, ha I call it a happy book because it's just, it's really good stories that you went through. It talks about your, your journey through high school and, and how tremendous of an athlete you were and how you got into the business and all that. And then you, you told some road stories, but it just, it, to me, it's just a really fun read when there's so many other books out there. I mean, well, there might be a little bit bad about it when you talk about the, the drugs and, and, and the business and all that towards the end of the book. But overall, I thoroughly enjoyed it. What, what made you want to write it? Well, I think I, I think the main reason why is that I, I, you know a lot of our friends encouraged us, encouraged me to write it because they 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 uh, enjoyed my stories. So yeah. I thought, well, if I can you know if I can you know put this book together, and you know. It's not going to be a you know a, <laughs> you know on the, the best reading, but it, it you know there's a lot of fans out there and a lot of friends that you know enjoyed it. And it's funny because every month you know yeah, and it's funny because this helps me out immensely when I do a podcast like you uh, because you know people aren't really they don't they there's no advertising you know by blurb about Matlands and you know I have uh, it's amazing Rob you would not believe how many people send me cards to sign you know pictures and sign and this and that so every time I get that I only you know they give me five or six cards I only sign one because I know they sell the rest of them right, so I right, sign right. one and then I tuck in I tuck in the little Matlands business card where they can get the magazine or get the book. And I said, I said, listen, if you, if you buy the book, send it to me, I'll sign it for you. You know? So I've, I've had that happen. And uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a good way of, um, you know, uh, informing the, the wrestling uh, crowd that there is a book out there and it's, uh, and actually, I don't know. I, 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 um, I don't know if I, told you this but actually i have a cd called matlands where i actually rewrote the words of bruce springsteen's badlands to yeah you, you, uh, you, uh, you sent that to me with uh with, with the book last year so I, okay I did good yeah so yeah, yeah and, and it's, it's a total ripoff but yeah there it is yeah my friend uh brian layton uh did it and and did a hell of a job and then he was afraid to sell it because uh, it was sort of a uh, handshake deal between Bruce and I that I could do it, you know, and, and, right. and Brian didn't want to sell them and then get, you know, say, hey, geez, you can't do that. You know, at Springsteen, you have to pay X amount of, you know, and the, and the CD's five bucks, I, you know, as if Bruce needs more money. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> I think he's doing all right. I think he's doing well for himself. Uh, that guy, he's got a lot of potential. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I tell you, you know, he's going to be on Broadway again now. You know, oh, he's I didn't starting know that. in, uh, yeah. yeah, he's starting June 26th and that tickets went on sale today. Rob, you wouldn't believe this. So, uh, he's playing at this, uh, St. James theater. It holds 1,710 people. 
And the first show is June 26th. And today the tickets went on sale. And all the tickets are, they're going to four different uh, uh, fundraisers. I mean, four different, you know, people that need the money. Mm -hmm. So I went on and I go on there and I have my son help me because, you know, you got five minutes to do this thing on this. And you write up everything. So when I wanted to go, I wanted to go August 20th because that's when I figured I could do it. So at that time, there was four seats uh, or two seats. You only can get two tickets. And they were in the fourth row in the right side of the balcony. So, and they were $850 a ticket. Wow. So I thought, well, I'll get something. My wife told me right off the bat, I'm not going to go because we have to fly to New York, stay overnight, then take a cab. So here's the deal. So when I finally got the, the tickets and they were all ready and, you know, for me to put on the credit card, they tacked on $400 for tax. And the tickets, the tickets wound up being over a thousand dollars a piece. And, you know, and I said, Oh God, but listen to this. Guess how much the front row seats are. $12,500 a ticket. Holy cow. I was going to say two grand. I was way off. (laughs) How can any normal fan afford that? There's no way. No. You know, I mean, you got to be a millionaire. I mean, who, you know, and you only can get two tickets, $25,000. Who's going to do that? So I, I was really upset. And I thought, well, I'll just have to wait until it comes out on Apple TV, like, you know, the <laughs> my letter to you and also the Western stars, you know. So, yeah. but I, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> it, it, it's funny because I had lunch with a, a teammate of mine who I haven't seen for a year and he played in the NFL with the Green Bay Packers. And he actually went with another couple to see Bruce on Broadway at the, whatever the theater, that Cure Theater, William Cure Theater, Cure Theater, whatever it was, uh, a year and a half ago. And he was in the fourth row and they had four tickets. And I, th- I think he said the tickets were $1,700 a piece. So they had, you know, that's it's almost eight grand. Yeah. But he said it was a hell of a show. And I said, yeah, I watched it on the Apple TV. It was good. So, you know, so, you, you've, you've met Bruce, you know, several times over the years. Yep. Uh, you, you, he couldn't hook you up with, with, with a little, you know, little well, couple here, of here's he, now. Well, here's the deal. I talked to him once by accident on, on the telephone because Terry McGovern, who was my main man, who, was Bruce's sidekick for 25 years. And um, he, he loved wrestling and he and I got along real well. So, and he passed away about four and a half, five years ago. And since then, there's a couple other guys, uh, Gil, who is his um, bodyguard opened up a, a security company where he takes care of all these rock groups and then uh, Wayne LeBeau uh, also worked for Bruce, and now he's on tour with another band. So the only other guy is a guy named George Travis, who's Bruce's road uh, manager. And uh, he got pissed at me a couple of years ago because 
a, a friend of mine from Winnipeg who runs the Winnipeg arena up there was pissed off because he could never get Bruce up there. And they've had all other talent up there. So I was trying to go to Live Nation, who, through Barry Bell, books Bruce. And then George Travis says, hey, Jim, he says, you can't do that. You know, he says, don't worry. You know, they'll get to Winnipeg. So so that's the situation right now. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not like Paul Molitor, who uh, is a friend of mine who actually – is in close and a good friend of Bruce, but he's got a in with a, a fellow, a Kevin Buell, who is the guitar tech who, who mm-hmm. tunes all Bruce's guitars, you know, at, at every show. So that's his in, but I, I lost my in with Terry. So I'm just sort of, I have one good uh, outlet right now. And that's um, Sean McGovern, who is Terry McGovern's son. And uh, Bruce has a couple companies, um, and I'm trying to think of it. Uh, uh, he's got one called Thrill Hill Productions, and then he has another company where they actually uh, rent gear for all these rock bands. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's some cargo, but they they promote and sell and rent all the you know sound systems for different yeah. bands to go on tour. So, and that's what Sean does, and he's busier than heck. So, yeah, I bet. Although I gave him the book, I, I gave him the book the last time Bruce was here because mm-hmm. I, his dad was such a close friend of mine. And I, you'll see in the book, there's a couple of pictures of Terry and I, Terry McGovern, and yep. Terry's uh, a girlfriend uh, who passed away too. And um, so we'll just have to see, you know. I I I heard that they're they're seriously thinking about having the the band the East Street Band and Bruce come out in uh, 2022. So that cool. sounds right. That would be something for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love the fact that uh, you know, growing up as a wrestling fan as a kid, it, technology is amazing. You know, to the fact that I've gotten to meet some of the guys I I you know looked up to like you like like uh, B. Brian Blair and, and, and other stars of sport. And for me, as a, as a 45-year-old guy, I still, you know, mark out a little bit uh, when I get an email from you, you know, every week, every other week uh, on, a, on a group email chain. And you have a, a positive message every week with a nice, you know, Bruce Springsteen video just trying to, especially during the pandemic, you know, just trying to keep people's spirits up. But uh, there's still a little, a little kid in me that's like, wow. You know, I'm 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 friends with Jim Ronzels. I mean, it's it's just uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> cool. I'm just normal like anybody else. You know? No, yeah, I know, and, but I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, look, Jeff, you you wrestled in front of ninety three thousand people at the at the Silverdome, you know, in WrestleMania three. Uh, you know, that's that's a larger than life thing, especially me growing up as a wrestling fan. Like I know, and, and what I like about you and Brian and 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 I've I've met really good people in the business, Tom Pritchard. Uh, but there's a lot of guys that you know, big time you and, and still think they're, they're bigger stars and they want to charge for interviews and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I'm glad that you are one of those down to earth people and not one of the, you know, the, 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 the bigger ego guys, you know what I mean? Well, Rob, I was very fortunate. You know, I was very, I, it, like, I think I mentioned this before to you, if somebody would have asked me at 18 years old, if I would have had a 25 year career, profession in professional wrestling, I would have told them they were crazy 
because I wanted to play football. You know, I wanted to play football so bad. And I thought, and then when I, I, you know, I wasn't good enough to play football. You know, I had some attributes that were good, but it just, it just didn't work out that way. So, you know, when Greg Gagne, uh said, Jim, he says, my dad's having a camp. You want to try? And I said, well, uh, well, you know, it's either that or go back to school and get my degree. And I thought, well, it's something athletic. And then all of a sudden, boom, I jumped on the uh, merry-go-round and it didn't stop. <laughs> right. right. And that was a, that was a heck of a class that you went through with, with Greg oh, and Claire and uh, Cosro, the iron Sheik, And, uh, you know, lots, lots of guys that, that, you know, made it in the sport. I mean, that that's one of the greatest classes, you know, of all time, to be honest. Well, when you look at it, uh, Bob Bruggers broke his back. He was a, he was probably one of the best athletes of all of us. He broke his back in a, in that same plane crash that Ric Flair was in, in North Carolina. And yeah. then Ken Patera, you know, did it. <laughs> he he mm-hmm. was there too. So you know, and 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 then when you think of Cosmo, the Iron, Sh- I call him the Iron Snook, the Iron Sheik, <laughs> and uh, Greg and I, and then Rick, you know, Flair. I've thought, God Almighty, I mean, that was a heck of a, a a grouping, and you know, all of us did real well, and we were fortunate, and you know, knock on wood, we're you know, we're all still alive, thank God. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, and and you know, Cosro was such a a legit shooter, you know, and a real yeah. tough guy, you know. But well, I heard he was super nice and down to earth, though. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, he was uh, Muslim, and he was very true to his faith. He didn't drink or smoke, or you know. And then and that that wrestling business corrupted the heck out of him because he yeah. was he was quite a character at the end there. And it's it's funny I talked to him and you know he's real depressed now, and you mm-hmm. know his daughter really got murdered and um, by a drug overdose, and uh, he sits at home and I think I, I think he's done real well on that. Uh, Whatever he does on on uh, I can't remember if it's uh, it's not Facebook, but it's Twitter. Twitter, yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. something. Oh, geez, and you know yeah, he, he can't stand Brian Blair. <laughs> you know he goes on a tangent about Brian Blair and this and that. I'm going to do this and that and and uh, <laughs> and Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. Now, it, hold it, it's, it's is there is there a legit heat between him and 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 Terry Belia? I have no idea. You think it's a I, I, I would, Well, I think it's it's probably just in Casual's mind. Yeah. You know, yeah. because, you know, Terry uh, Belay is just, he's he's so different because um, he's a real quiet guy, you know, and he's, he's a sensitive guy. And he was so fortunate that, he was the he was the golden goose that spawned the WWE. Without him, Vince couldn't he wouldn't be where he is today. And yeah. you know he he was he was so talented and and I mean uh, nice guy, good to good to a lot of people. And and you know he can only do so much. And you know he's had his problems had some problems with his kids and, you know, got divorced and is remarried. And he, uh, he, I talked to him once in a while, very seldom. 
he doesn't return calls unless he needs you or want you know something so right. but you know he he uh, i can't i really i can't say uh, anything bad about terry because he's always been good to me and and uh, he was uh, incredible in the ring and he was under great pressure for years mm-hmm. and he performed nightly i mean he you know i mean it's it's I, I guess it's easier to perform nightly when you're making fifty thousand a week just in royalties, you know, yeah. <laughs> fifty grand a week, yeah. you know, and you know he got a million dollars up front for every pay per view, plus yeah. you get ten to twelve percent of each house, you know. So and every house, you know, the houses, you know, uh, two hundred grand, you know, ten percent that's twenty thousand dollars in one night. Yep. And this, you know, this this was all through the the eighties. Yeah, I mean that's why people want to be on, you know, the A towns because they knew Hogan was going to be on the card, and you don't, you know, exactly that either because you usually had, you know, you know, I, 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 Piper or Andre or another big star there. But if you were on the C shows, you knew you weren't going <laughs> to you weren't going to draw. Uh, but I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> realize, you know, a lot of people don't realize they ran two or three shows, you know, on the weekend, you know, per day. Uh, well, Hogan here's the deal. Hogan used, to, Hogan used to leave before intermission, right? Because he had to get to the next town. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they had sixty guys, Rob, and they had three towns a night. They had twenty guys in each town. And I remember there was multiple times, like you say, on Saturday and Sunday, we'd have double shots. You have a yeah. shot in the afternoon, and then they they fly in a jet, boom, and and you know, and that happened a couple times. And yeah. a couple times, Brian and I wound up, you know, with Terry. And I think we flew out of Puerto Rico. Yeah, we flew from Puerto Rico to Long Island in a small jet. And uh, we got out of the jet. And there's Zine, picks him up, drives him to his house. And this was, uh, I think, in Stanford or Greenwich. But you know who his next-door neighbor was? David Letterman. <laughs> yeah, this great big old house, you know, and and Terry said, I never see him, you know, and nah, 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 you know, and then uh, we spent the night at Terry's house, and he had I, I looked at this house, and it was a huge sprawling rambler, and he had a gym in there, beautiful gym, and he mm-hmm. had um, he had two sun beds, and he had I don't know two or three guest rooms, and his master suite had the biggest damn bed I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it had to be 10 by 10 and it had these huge uh, wood trellises <laughs> across it. And, it. and it looked like, you know, it looked like they'd cut off some tree, bent it over and then shellacked it, you know, <laughs> and it was just incredible, but that's the way he lived, you know, and, and it, you know, he, they, beat the daylights out of him. I mean, he, you know, he said 10 surgeries on his back. And I, 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 I was hoping that, you know, I was the way it was leading last year that I thought, Oh, geez, Rick Flair is going to get in the ring with Hulk. You know, I thought that was going to happen in WrestleMania. I said, these guys, you know, Rick is 73 and Hulk yeah. 67. So. Rick, I don't know the how he does dollar. it. Yeah, no. Yeah. For well, sure. He's crazy. Um, He's yeah. crazy. No, I, mean, I love Rick, but he's crazy. <laughs> he uh, he's one of the guys that, that that can't let it go. And obviously, you you've known quite a few of them. And unfortunately, 
you know, a lot of them have, have passed away just because of that lifestyle yeah. that they lived in the eighties that you mentioned, you know, towards the end of your book. And it's, it's really unfortunate. I mean, can you, I don't, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but you know, you can't really blame Vince McMahon for that because you know, you guys signed up for that job. You know, you knew what you were getting into, but a lot of people have tried to, you know, sue Vince over the years for concussions and, and stuff like that. But what do you think attributes to that party lifestyle? You know, hanging out in the bar after afterwards, you know, doing, you know, cocaine or, or uh, you know, somas or, or all that. It's because you're just on the road so much and your body just taking a beating and you need you need something to kind of, you know, take the edge off. And, and obviously yes. addiction comes and that's, it gets worse that, and you, you spiral out of control. It. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, how can you now? I was very fortunate. I had a wonderful uh, wife who's, you know, we've been married 46 years and she raised, not only did she raise our two kids so well when I was on the road, but she also ran my business. I had my own gym for, from 82 to 87. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, we were in contact every night, but uh, you know, I remember some guys went 80 days in a row, Rob. 80 days in a row without going home. Kazro mm -hmm. Vaziri, the Iron Sheik, was on the road so much. He told Vince, book me all the time. I, you know, that I. So his wife, Carol, uh, he was gone so long that his wife renovated the house. He came by and drove right by the house because he didn't recognize it. <laughs> you know, when he came home from the airport. Yeah, yeah. You know? But, you know, and well, see, no, but here's the deal. When Vince signed you to a contract, it was a standard contract. It said you were independent contractor and you would be booked by Vince McMahon, blah, 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 whatever it was, Stanford, Connecticut, blah, blah, blah. But there was no monetary value involved. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't say, you know, you're going to make, you know, 75000 yeah. Are you going to make a hundred thousand? You know, it, it just didn't, it wasn't that way. So we contested, you know, we sued Vince, Brian and I did, and we won. And I, I sued him before that and I won. And it's just that the guys didn't really, they were so happy to be working for the WWE. They didn't realize that they were being taken advantage of, mm -hmm. you know, some guys are, signed as employees, you know, and consequently they, they had an opportunity to get involved in, you know, whatever it is a 401k or benefits or retirement. But we, you know, uh, the, the normal guy, you know, signing that contract as an independent contract, you had to pay your own taxes. They didn't get, you didn't get nothing, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, you, uh, you're on the road all these, all, uh, all this time and sure you made, you made a good salary, but I mean, there was nothing there at the end. So I remember when Vince uh, fired me, I think the third time he hired me back a couple times. And then he said to me, he walked up to me and he said, Jim, he says, I just want to let you know, he says, uh, uh, no matter what you do, you'll be a, uh, a good success. And I said, yeah, <laughs> you know, I said, yeah, I'm 40 some years old and no yeah. experiences. You know, people don't care about an ex wrestler. Right. They think they care about an ex wrestler. You know, they only want you when you're on TV, you know? <laughs> so at, I tell you, 
that's another big problem that guys had to adjust to. You know, and then I, I look at Greg Valentine. He's still, he's six months older than me. He's still dragging a bag and, and trying to get in the ring. I thought, yeah. I said, Jesus, Greg, you know, that's too bad. I don't, I don't know how he still walks. I mean, you take, you only have so many bumps on your bump card, as they like to say. And eventually, you know, it's your time's up and you can't, you can't do that anymore. I mean, you, you obviously realize when, you know, that time was up and, and Brian did too, but yeah, there's guys like Greg and Rick and, 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 you know, some of the old timers that, that can't give it up. It's just, is it, is it the addiction to the, to the business? Is it the uh, addiction to the crowd? I mean, a lot of people say they like, you know, being booed or being cheered. They like people that, you know, get a reaction out of them. It, it's, it's like a, it's an adrenaline rush. You know, it, it's, it's Roddy Piper called it an addiction. You know, you just can't get it out of your system. Uh, is that is that really what well, it is? Uh, in some respect, I think I think you have to maintain uh, a little bit of reality, and you have to realize that this is a business, and yeah. if you don't take care of yourself, uh, uh, you're you're going to wind up with nothing. Right. And and you know, you look at so many guys. You know, I mean, you know, how many guys? When you think of it, Rob wrestled 20 years, 25 mm -hmm. years, who got out of the business and were able to retire. Not many. And not do anything. No, yeah, not many. They had yeah. to find and 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 in the wrestling world, you're so segregated from the real world in terms of what what goes on. You be you you become uh well it, you you just become uh, desensitized to what reality really is. You know, yeah. It, yeah. And, you know it's hard. It's hard to make it in this world, and, and you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I was very fortunate that this, this company hired me when I was fifty years old because I had been doing, you know, independent wrestling and you know making forty five, fifty grand a year, working half the year, you know, doing independence, but then. I realized, God, you know, I, I, I could, first of all, you know, I, I was hurting, you know, my shoulders hurt, my knee hurt, my hip hurt. And then I just couldn't do, I remember on my 50th birthday, I had a match with Jim Neidhart of all people. And it was in a, a small, oh boy, it was in a small town, Albert Lee, Minnesota, and Ken Patera had promoted it. And I remember after that match, that was it. I said, that's it. I'm not, I can't do it anymore. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't jump as high. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't drop down. I, you know, I would, you know, the timing wasn't there. And, yeah. and you realize, you know, after a period it, you know, it's fleeting, you know, you're only, yeah. you only have that span for physical um, perfection that you can get and being a well uh, oiled you know, machine, whether it be in football, basketball, hockey, or in this case, wrestling. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're slower. You can't do this. And then, you know, you just can't do it. Hey, this is Jason Powell from ProWrestling.net, the Rad Turtles Wrestling Podcast. It's amazing to me that turtles have the ability to speak, let alone host wrestling podcasts. I guess that's what makes them rad. RTW Rewind. 
you had one of the greatest drop kicks in in the business right there. We can. What do you attribute that to? Because you're uh, being so great as a athlete at, at the high jump in school. Is that kind of did that well, kind of help you? Out? When I when I was a young kid, my best friend was a guy named Nick Hartzell, who we grew up with uh, from second grade all the way through high school, and. When he was 12 years old, he was 6'4 and 185 pounds. And I was I was just a little runt. Yeah. And I told him, I said, and I told him someday, I said, we were playing basketball. We played basketball together since we were third grade, all through high school. He went to Notre Dame on a football scholarship, broke his ankle his freshman year, never played again. So yeah. I went to the, you know, Minnesota and uh, I could always jump, you know, for a white guy. I, 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 you know, I had 36 and a half inch vertical, which was uh, unheard of for, you know, a kid six yeah. feet. Yeah. Right. I used to dunk, I used to dunk every damn layup and warmups and everything. And my coach used to say to me, what are you doing that for? I says, because I can, you right. know, yeah, well, you know yeah. and, and, and then when, you know, um, Vern Gagne says, you know, you're going to be able to have a good drop kick. So I remember Vern used to put his hand up. And say, can you drop kick my hand? And, and you know, pretty soon his hand was completely extended over his head, and I could jump up and drop kick it. He says, "Oh yeah." So you know, I, I drop kick was natural for me, and and I was fortunate that um, you know you only have so many drop kicks in <laughs> in your body, and then right. pretty soon you know those those binders are pretty stretched out. So yeah, yeah you know, I, I was bet. fortunate, but you know, you still had yeah, in I my was, opinion. You know the best, the best drop kick that I've I've ever seen, and some guys have come close. Well, Randy, thank you. Randy Orton's good, and uh, Bob Holly had a great drop kick too. But yeah, uh, you you had some ups there, buddy. Well, consistently, I threw probably more drop kicks than anybody that in my era, you know, because I figured a couple, you know, I throw a couple during a match, and and pretty soon my drop kick was better than a, a finishing hold, so. Uh, you know, we wound up using it where Brian would have a, a guy would have a headlock on Brian and Brian would tag me. He'd throw the guy in, drop down. And when he dropped down, the guy jump up and I'd nail him in the head. Boom. Down he go. One, two, three. Boom. So although um, Greg Valentine broke my hand in Rockford, Illinois, and he was the only uh, the only guy that really hurt me. And it was it was he tried to block this double wrist take over a hand and when he he clamped onto my hand and we went over i heard this point and i could feel it right smack in the middle of my hand and i thought son of a gun i broke my hand and, and my <laughs> hand swelled up you know and and yeah. sure enough but it was funny rob because i had a cast on up the ear and uh, uh in the next two weeks we won more matches with the clothesline you know i'd cuff these heels with the, the right. cast and Give them, give them, give them a little bit of their their own treatment. Did uh did Cowboy Bob Orton get pissed off? You were stealing his gimmick. <laughs> I tell you, Bob Orton to me, there's two or three guys who I consider the best of my era, yeah. and he was one of them. He that guy, everything he did looked good, and he was a master. His timing in the ring. Oh, I worked with his dad in in Kansas city, big Bob Horton, Jesus gosh. And he was a big punishing son of a gun, but Bobby was really special. And, um, him, 
Jake Roberts, another guy who was incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. his timing was. And then as far as the, the baby faces, Ricky Steamboat was uh, incredible. I mean, he was, oh, and, you know, I mean, Rick Flair and, and, and Rick was, you know, he, he was a natural, you know, and, and there, there was there was few guys like him um, that could, you know, but his whole life was wrestling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Still is to a point, you know? Oh, I know. He calls me once in a while and all of a sudden really? I see yeah. a, I see on the phone it says no caller ID and I know it's him. And he <laughs> says, Renzi, Rickus, you know? And I said, oh boy, here we go. So, and he says, yeah. And he says, he says, you know, I wasn't supposed to drink. He says, but I drink a little bit now. <laughs> I got to tell you, I got to tell you a story. And, you know, Rick, you know, he'd spend money like it was water. Yeah. So we're, we're in the St. Louis um, Marriott Hotel, right at the airport. And it was, we were upstairs. And this, they had a disco and there was, I don't know, it was after the matches. And we were flying out the next morning and uh, we are sitting there and, all of a sudden, he says to me, he says, geez, he says, he says, I'm out of money. He says, do you have a 20 on you? I said, sure. He says, do you want a drink? And I said, well, I, you know, so his last call. So he had a drink. I, I can't remember if it was vodka or vodka tonic, and I had a rum and coke. And and then it was, you know, it was like four bucks, you know, so it was eight bucks. So he's, he gives the girl the 20 and he says, keep the change. You know, he gave her a $12 tip. And I never saw the $20 bill, but that was Rick. You know, he was, uh, it wasn't Rick. Yeah. I mean, he, he lived the gimmick. I mean, if, if, you know, he, he, can you can imagine, what? you know, I mean, he, yeah, he, he, uh, you know, he had one or two or three cars and he had boats and he had, and, uh, you know, he had some trouble with the IRS in North Carolina and the state of Carolina. And then um, I think it was when Jim Crockett sold the Mid-Atlantic to uh, Ted Turner in WCW. It, ab- it absolved Rick of all of his de- indebtedness. So yeah. he never had to pay any of it back. You know, can you yeah. imagine that? God, that was, did he luck out on that? I'm but I see you. him and he's still... He's still a character, and I love him dearly. He's just, you know, he's he's one of a kind. He wants to be Ric Flair. He doesn't want to be Richard he, Flair anymore. He just he wants no. to be Ric Flair. You know. Well, you you know, did you see the thirty by thirty on him that okay. was on? Okay, and it was sad. Yeah, and I it watched was. it. We were at we were at this um, opening in in uh, Minneapolis, and there was some. Greg Gagne and I were there, and and you watched it, and I felt so bad because afterwards they asked me a question, and I said, you know what? I said, that's a sad story, but I said, if if you were to ask Rick if he would to do that over again, he'd do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. he would. He, you yeah. know, I mean, that's he, he he wouldn't have any regrets, you know, and <laughs> but at least Wendy has kind of kept him a little bit under control, you know, and his. The last you know several years but i mean he went through a couple of really tough health scares too i mean he he almost died you know a couple times i know it i know yeah. it yeah but he, yeah he, he was he, he keeps kicking out he's a real, i know it thank god and then that's what you know they told him not to drink anymore and i, <laughs> I remember you know rick here's here's rick's mo when he used to drink in a bar you know and he 
he'd buy, you know, 10, 12 drinks and he'd grab one and everybody would have a drink and he'd take a sip out of it and then he'd put it down and then he'd order another one. So he had like three or four drinks that were three quarters full, you know, yeah. if he would have, if he would have drank all of those, we, we would have had to carry him out every night, but you know, he didn't drink all of them. Thank God. He was, he was <laughs> smart. You, you want to get everybody else drunk. So <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh gee, yeah. He was, a, he was a real character. God almighty. I'm oh, telling you. you know, it, Minnesota was such a hotbed for, for wrestling. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing the amount of, of talent that came out of Minnesota that made it, you know, to the big time, the AWA, NWA, you know, uh, NWA, WWE, WWF, whatever you want to call it. I mean, you, Greg, uh, you had uh, the Kurt, uh, Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning, yeah. yeah Rick, Kurt Rick Henning Rude. was, yeah, Rick Rude. Kurt Henning was, Kurt. yeah, he was still and, and, so naturally yeah. gifted. Yeah. He really was. And, yeah, and, um, you know, Vern had an insight into guys, and, and he, what he looked at first was them as a person, and then he looked at their athletic ability. Right. And he wanted he wanted athletes, you know. And yeah. and honestly, God, Rob, I mean, it was a tough. I mean, it was six to eight weeks. It was six days a week, and it was six hours a day. And that Billy Robinson, God rest his soul, was a sadist. He used to love to hurt us, and he'd grab and he'd hook you, and he'd cross face you, and he'd grab your wrist and you know and geez you know and you think holy god what you know i, I do i owe you money uh, ability or what you know, lighten up a little bit but and and consequently almost all the guys that Vern broke in were all big success and and you know yep. a lot of them didn't realize this but Vern had a contractual obligation with all of us that we were supposed to pay him 10% of our earnings uh-huh. off the top for five years. But when these guys took off, they never paid him. I was the only one that paid him because I wound up being in Minneapolis with Greg for five years. So they right. took every, every check I got 10% out of my, you know, t- Oh God. So I, I, you know, it was, it was quite a bit of money over the, you know, five years because, yeah. you know, Greg and I had some good matches and it was but you know, I I I owe Vern a lot. He had a uh, even though you know once once uh, I remember I, I think I I, I might have mentioned this in the book. You know, I had I had my business uh, jumping Jim Brunzel's gym in White Bear, and I really didn't want to. <laughs> you know, I had already been to Charlotte, you know, in the Mid Atlantic for a year and a half, and came back, and I I did really want to go but you know Hulk left everybody left the AWA for, you know right. for the WWE and and if you wanted to wrestle you had to go to New York and I, I went to Vern and I said Vern I says God I, I, I don't want to leave I says but I need X amount of dollars you mm-hmm. know to stay here and I, he says well how much and I said 95000 a year I need a personal guarantee from you and you know what he said to me he said, you're not worth it. You can go. And it broke my heart, man. And I left and that, that was it. I thought, oh. So, and it was funny because when I, <laughs> I first got into New York, I flew into Newark and then I got in this little beater of a 
two-engine prop plane, and Hillbilly Jim was the first guy I met. And he was on the plane. He just came back from uh, – he, he got knocked off the ring, and, and he tore his kneecap. His kneecap went from his knee all the way up into his groin. He, he oh. got knocked off the ring, and he jammed his foot in the ground. And, and he, he was he's still a wonderful guy. I contact, as a matter of fact, I called him tonight and left a message. So we get into Poughkeepsie, and that's where we did, you know, three shows. We taped three shows. So they do a, a general interview with me. And I think it was – I don't know if it was Gene Okerlund. It, it might have been uh, Finkel, Howard Finkel. So he's doing this interview, and it's just a babyface interview, and, you know, I'm talking, nah, nah, nah. So I get done with the interview, and Vince turns around, and he says, God almighty, we got another backland. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. So when he said that, I thought, oh, geez. And that was the very first night I worked for him. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about a guy that's just a I natural athlete, too, is, is, is uh, sorry, I mean, you're up, is uh, Bob Backlund. I mean, that guy, yeah. that guy yeah. could go all night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, God, he was a great wrestler, great amateur, and a good football player, too, you know. And, yeah. uh, you know, he he brought a lot of legitimacy to pro wrestling, and Vince McMahon's dad thought that, you know, that's what they needed at that time, you know. And, and it's funny now because uh, Bob has sort of turned into – a different personality and they call him Mr. Backland, you know, and, I, and he, he rants and raves and, and actually if he would have done that, you know, 20, 25 years ago, he would have been a hell of a heel. You know? Yeah, he was. And, yeah. and, and Bob, you know, he and I go back. I remember one time I was in Kansas city and I, I had a, uh, this was 1973 or 74 and he was on his way down to Texas. So he stopped in Kansas City, and he worked the show, and he, he wanted to stay at my apartment. And I said, heck, yeah. So I I had two air mattresses. <laughs> you know, that's why I had this great big air mattress for me and another air mattress for a guest, you know. So <laughs> we pumped up. We had some beer, and we had I, – I, I lived on hot dogs, chicken, and eggs. And, and Bob could drink the beer, so – he, he, you know, he he drink I don't know twelve, thirteen bottles of beer, and he had to get up and go to uh, Amarillo or something the next day. So we go to bed, and during the course of the night, all the air drained out of his mattress, and he was laying on the floor in the morning. So he had a stiff neck when he left my house, and he says, "Oh, he says thanks for the accommodations, Jim." <laughs> yeah, he was. And, and I still see him, you know, he's from Princeton, Minnesota, and he comes home once in a while. And, you know, I know he lives, I think he still lives in Connecticut. Yeah. And um, I heard he had some tough times recently, and I don't know what that was from, but, um, you know, he's he's a good guy, real nice guy. Yeah, yeah, he really is. Uh, you know, it's funny talking to you and talking to, to, to Brian Blair. You guys have two different perceptions of, of Vince McMahon. Uh, you obviously had, you know, a, a lot of issues with him, but when I talked to Brian about him, he has nothing bad to say about him. What do you, what do you think it was? Was it the way Vince treated you as opposed to him? Or why do you two have just so, you know, differing opinions of, uh, of Vince Jr.? Well, <laughs> I could sort of see the handwriting on the wall with Vince. Uh, 
I, I, I saw him as a person. And uh, I think, I think Brian, because he wanted, he wanted to be in that, that situation in the WWE that no matter what Vince did, he let it go. And mm -hmm. to be honest with you, Vince doesn't like either one of us. And see, Brian thinks that this is the truth. Brian thinks that Vince likes him. He doesn't. Okay. And, and he doesn't. I, I, I know that for a fact. And, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I told Brian that. And he said, ah, no, 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 no. I said, okay. You know, and, <laughs> I, you know, it's just. Um, and I, I think it was, you know, Brian's uh, association with Terry, you know, being close friends and then. Um, uh, you know, coming from Florida and coming from the Grahams and, and the guy that I'm trying to think, Mitsu, uh, whatever the guy's name was who trained him. And, you know, uh, you know, Brian is very good in the ring and, and we were a good team, but, uh, it just, you know, it just, it, you know, it didn't pan out. You know, they, we, we thought we were going to get an opportunity and we never did. And, and um, I remember, I remember wrestling in um, uh, Lake Placid, New York, and we were in a eight-man tag, believe it or not. And it was Brian and myself, and Coco Beware, and George the Animal Steel, and we were against the Hearts and somebody else. And at the end of the match, all four of us had the masks on, and George the <laughs> George the Animal Steel put the mask on backwards and, and it was trying to bite it off. And then Coco <laughs> Beware was, was doing the bird in the middle of the yeah. ring. And Brian and I were looking at each other. And I said to Brian, I said, that's it. The, the killer bees are dead right now. And shortly thereafter, you know, Rob, it was, you know, a downhill, <laughs> yeah. you know. I mean, but, you guys are great. I, I loved, you know, your... Your attire was cool, you know, with the yellow and black, and you guys were, you know, a well-oiled, you know, machine. You and Greg were fantastic as well, but I really, you know, I saw more of you and Brian because I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in Connecticut, uh, okay. so I was I was able to watch WWF every weekend, and uh, I I I loved you guys. You guys were were fantastic together. Well, we had a gimmick that was so rare for baby faces to, you know throw a reverse on the heels that was so used to what the heels would be doing. And, right. and they could, they could, they could have gone all over with this diagon deal, you know, with the mask, but they never chose to, you know, we, we had matches with the hearts that were just incredible. And, you know, it, it, uh, it was uh, disappointing because uh, all the teams that we worked with, um, except for a couple of them, you know, really wanted to have a good match. But the problem in the WWE was that nobody wanted to look weak mm -hmm. because they thought if they looked weak in a match as heels, consequently, they wouldn't draw. But, right. they, they, you know, the whole gimmick of a heel is that he can't compete with the baby face, yeah. so he has to follow them. And in following them by breaking the rules, that's what gets heat with the crowd. And that's what draws the people in to see that guy get his ass beat the next time. 
but they right. don't do that anymore. Everybody's yeah. the same in the ring. I agree. There's there's so many. They want to be the cool heel. You know what I mean? They want to be. Uh, you know, they want the smart fans to you know to know everything that's going on. And you're right. I mean, look, it, it could still work today. And I mentioned this off air. Psychology is psychology. You know, good versus evil still exists today. Um, yeah, if they exactly. Write compelling storylines. Uh, it would still it would draw people in, but you know. I, I saw the numbers on Raw a couple weeks ago. They were they were down under you know almost almost under a million. And at one point they had five six million people watching them in the in the, in the late nineties. It's just it, it's amazing how far they've fallen, but yet are still you know making more money than they ever have before because you know Vince has guys that have made smart contracts, whether it's the Saudi Arabians, yeah. uh, and we don't need to get into that. But uh, or well, look Fox, at the TV. USA, yeah. I mean the TV. Fox. Yeah, a billion dollars. dollars. Yeah, and then now selling the Peacock, you know, selling the network yeah. to Peacock for a billion dollars. Well, the guy who arranged this, the very beginning, was Dick Ebersol, and he was with mm -hmm. ABC Sports, Wide World of Sports. He's the one that got the TV geared on high definition and all the different screens, and all. you know, that was the best damn TV promotion. In, in in the world, really. Yeah. And then he brought that to Vince. And Vince, you know, all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> you're watching, you know, down in Tennessee, you're watching that, you know, a studio wrestling match, and all of a sudden you switch to Vince, and there's 70,000 people outside at, in, at a stadium and this and that. And he, yep. you know, and, 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 and nobody could compete with that. Right. And, and Dick Eversole was the key for the TV promotion in the early eighties. And then what Vince did, he just carried over that same uh, idea with, you know, spending the amount of money. I remember, you know, the, the, the different um, territories like Kansas city, Minneapolis, ten uh, Tennessee, Texas, uh, North Carolina, you know, they spent, you know, probably on a weekly, they probably spent 5,000 to $7,000 on their weekly television promotion you know the you know the promotion of the tv where vince was spending 50 to a hundred thousand dollars using yeah. all his camera angles and all the you know and and just blew everything everybody away yeah absolutely you know, I mean, and you're right yeah. you look at the, the, the smoky you know buildings back down in the nwa mid-atlantic and in georgia and all that and you know it's dark lights and all that which i love that look i mean that's that's what we all grew up with right but sure. yeah when you Blitz and glamour of WWF, WWE. That yeah, nobody else could compete. Vern tried to do it, but I mean, no. Even, yeah, even Vince, once once Vince, you know, raped him of all his his major stars, he, he couldn't compete. But unfortunately, Vern Vern wouldn't change with the times, from what I've heard, and he was kind of you know stuck in his ways, and that's that's kind of what held him back, right? Well, here's the here's the deal. This is unconfirmed, and Greg will deny this, but this is what I heard. <laughs> Vince came to Vern Gagne before, right after Terry, you know, Bollea left to go to New York. And this is what Vince did. He bought all the different promotions. And he went to Vern Gagne and he said, listen, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you $7 million for your territory, which includes all of your video. And then he says, I'll give Greg a job for life. And you know what Vern said? F you. Mm. And within yeah. six weeks, 
uh, Vince took everything and Greg didn't have a job and Vern, you know, was broke. Yeah. You know, that was it. And I mean, he had a chance, but you know, those egos of those guys, you know, a guy like Vern who came from nothing and, you know, became a multimillionaire, you know, by himself. And, you know, there was other guys like that. And to, to be honest with you, Vern was uh, not only envy, but he was hated by other promoters because uh, he was so arrogant because he, he was a self-made man. Right. And, and, and everybody held that against him. They said, well, yeah. And Vern, you know, he could shoot. I mean, he was, you know, he's on the national team, he was a national champion. He was on, uh, you know, the Olympic team. I mean, there was nothing that guy couldn't do. Right. And, and he, did, yeah. he, he was smart enough to book himself on top because, you know, who better to trust than yourself? Uh, people loved him. He was, you know, Bill Watts did it himself. I mean, a lot of promoters did that. You know, Bill's another guy that say what you want about him, but he was he was a, an innovator when it came to, to TV and he, he knew exactly what he wanted to do and he wanted to go global. But I mean, even at, at one point, he was smart enough to see the writing on the wall and then, you know, sold UWF to, to Crockett. So, I mean, yep. Vern just didn't want to give it up that too much pride, I guess. Well, he was too much ego. Yeah. You know, he, he, he thought, huh, here, I got a guy from New York. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and consequently he just, you know, boom, he, he yeah. went broke. I remember Greg saying they had a half million dollars left <clears throat> and that they could use. And Greg pleaded with his dad saying, dad, let's just hang it up and just, you know, let's, retire on this 500, you know, half million. And Vern says the hell with it. And he, he tried. And that's when he was doing the ESPN deal and this and this and this and Vegas and all the money was gone. And that was it. Yeah. I can't imagine how he would have made money going to Vegas, you know, doing a residency there at Showboat. I don't, I never understood that deal to me. I didn't either. I didn't either. They must've been paying him X amount of dollars to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Must've been. And and they give us free rooms and who knows. Right, right. What's going on, everybody? My name is Vampiro. This right here is the Rad Turtles Wrestling Podcast. Tune in, get tuned up, get informed, and enjoy the podcast. RTW Rewind. Did uh, did Greg, did you ever talk to Greg about his dad being inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame and and how, how how he felt about that? I mean... Vern did it. It was very weird to see him on WWE TV accepting that honor. Uh, did 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 you ever talk to him to Greg about that? Uh, a little bit. You know, Greg was was happy and proud. You mm-hmm. know, and I and I don't know was I don't know. I th- was Nick Bockwinkle inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. I he think was. he was. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and I think that was. Vince's way of acknowledging Vern as, you know, a, a, a successful, uh, a great uh, champion and a promoter. And that was, you know, Vince didn't have to do that, but he right. did. And that yeah. was, that was nice. <laughs> and, and, you know, in respect, you know, and Greg worked for Vince for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember if it was down in Ohio and one of his uh, training. Uh, Greg was assigned to help people, you know, break in the business and, yeah. and uh, it, it didn't go very well. So, because Greg is, 
pretty uh, pretty sure of himself in terms of what he knows, and right. he he didn't want anybody telling him how to do this and how to do that. You know that was lesser of a, a worker or something, and and I think that started a, a you know <laughs> the end of Greg, you know when yeah. he got fired. So. Yeah. But, yeah, Greg, you know. Greg was on a lot of their DVDs too, as, as well. You know, to provide some backstories for for you know different guys like that. And uh, Greg, dude, Greg was another one who had a lot of you know. It was a hard time trying to fill Vern Gagne's you know oh, shoot. Horrible. So, but Greg, horrible. Greg was a fantastic athlete and had a lot of charisma. Greg had, you know, the the only thing that Greg lacked was size. Mm-hmm. You know, he weighed about two hundred five, two hundred seven pounds. And at that time, I was 225, about 230. And Bobby Heenan, who I wanted to mention about Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan was the greatest all-around uh, talent in this wrestling business in my era. Oh, yeah. Not only he – was, he was the best manager. He, he was an incredible worker. Uh, he was an incredible interviewer. And I remember at, at one time uh, – in the WWE, he had four different guys that he'd walk out to the ring with. Yep. And, you know, he was he was just a natural. And he had an eighth grade education. And he oh, was I just. I yeah. And he, wow. um, uh, you know, he was a heavy drinker, honest God, and he was funnier than hell. I remember <laughs> one time, you know, he drank all night in, in Denver and we had to fly, fly back to Minneapolis and do a TV show at 11 o'clock. In, in Minneapolis at WTCN 11. And then at five o'clock we had to fly over to Milwaukee to do a show. <laughs> so Bobby had, he had uh, uh, Bobby Duncan and Jack Lanza and he had Bachwinkle and he, he had, he might've had somebody else. So they had Wally Carbo, who was Vern's partner there. They had this table and they had everything laid out, the booking and the interviews and everything. And Bobby Heenan comes and he leans over to see where his guys were scheduled in the interviews. And all of a sudden, Vern looks up at him and he says, Heenan, you've been drinking. And Bobby says, you can't smell vodka. <laughs> and he walked, he walked away, you know, and, and Vern started laughing, you know, but that's the type, that's the type of guy he was. He was, he was, I love that guy. He was so incredibly talented. Yes. And, and then when he died, Nobody, Vince had nobody at his funeral. I was, I was irate. There was eight people at his funeral. Same with Gene Okerlund. They had 40 really? people at his funeral. Yeah. I, 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 I just, I, oh. I, can't believe, I can't believe that. I mean, everybody loved Bobby. Yeah, that's, I know. That doesn't make I sense. I was, no, it that's doesn't. It's, yeah. That's horrible. I mean, he worked for Vince for, you know, Almost twenty years, well, right? Did, I mean, he was. He, he, yeah, he. You know, he did the TV, and he did. Yeah, how many different? Uh, you know, he worked with Gorilla Monsoon. On oh, the him TVs and Gorilla. And, so good. Oh, incredible! Yeah, he yeah. was. Yeah, Bobby was just. He was a. Uh, he was the greatest all-around talent, without a doubt. That that I was fortunate enough to work with. He was just incredible. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't really talk about his, his wrestling skills, but man, that guy oh. could bump for everybody. I mean, he was one of the most natural well, bumpers I've ever seen. 
And, and, and his philosophy was so good. I mean, you know, he, 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 the way he carried himself and the way he'd look around and the way he'd shake his head and the way he <laughs> cowered, the people yeah. hated it. I remember one time in Chicago, somebody pulled out a, a 22 and started shooting, you know, in oh, the, God. thank God. Uh, yeah. Somebody got wounded, but nobody got killed. Thank God. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. you know that, I mean, that was real heat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, was, type of stories about was, that too, you know, getting stabbed and shot at and, People oh, thought it was real, especially the southern territories. Oh, well, that's one thing. And it's funny, Rob, because when I went down south and, and you know, I wrestled in Carolina for like 18 months, I couldn't realize all the guys that carry guns with them. You know, I mean, they carry guns in their bag. And I thought, I remember Tony Atlas wearing um, Anderson, South Carolina. It was a hot son of a gun. They didn't have air conditioning. And he sits down, we're getting ready for the man. All of a sudden, he pulls out a 44 Magnum and with a long barrel, a dirty, hairy gun. And I said to him, I says, I says, Tony, I says, that thing's not loaded. He says, sure it is. He says, what good is a unloaded gun? And I said, Tony, I said, if that thing went <laughs> off, I says, you could probably kill two or three people in here and then the damn bullet go right through the wall. Oh, yeah. don't worry about that, Jim. And I thought, eh. you know, just to know that somebody had a damn gun in the locker room was, yeah, yeah, you know, make you think twice. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, you know, I, I heard a story, and I don't know how how true this is, but uh, didn't supposedly Vern may have may or not wanted somebody dead when they came to uh, to Minnesota. I don't know if it was it was I don't think it was Hogan, but it was. I can't remember exactly the specifics of the story, but did you ever hear of Vern maybe possibly no. wanting to hit out on somebody? No. no. <laughs> just wrestling no. lower, I guess, because Vince was running the same the same city. So. Yeah, no. It, 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 Vern would never threaten anybody other than his own personal uh, prowess. He, he'd say, if, you know, <laughs> if you want to fight me, I'll fight you right now because that's right, what right, they right. do. You know, yeah. and uh, I, I I wouldn't put any credence to that at all in terms of. Yeah, I can't, you know, I can't remember the details. It was, it was Harley that may have had the gun, and I don't know. It was such, well, such Harley, an old school. You know, yeah, Harley, you know, he was a crazy guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, driving with him to Iowa from Kansas City. And the town was 200 miles away, and we leave at 4.30, and we're supposed to be there at 6.30, you know. The match started at 7.30. And he was driving 100 and some miles an hour on these two-lane roads, and petrified. <laughs> I was scared to death. I had yeah. that seatbelt on, and he had this, uh, what the hell was it? It was some sort of Pontiac that he had souped up. And we got there, you know, 15 minutes before the matches started. And I thought, oh, God. And my heart was going like that because. And then on the way home, he says, Jimmy, he says, he says, uh, in the glove compartment, pull out that pint of scotch and make me a drink. And I said, oh, God. So I'm making him a drink and he's driving 100 miles an hour. And I yeah. thought, Jesus, Harley, please. You know, and I, I don't think I ever rode with him again. But here's the honest to gospel true story. I was going to Wichita, Kansas, and I had um, 
Hispanic wrestler who was making his way from New York down to Texas. And he was going to wrestle in Wichita that night. So I'm, I'm, you know, Mike George and I are <laughs> going to wrestle uh, somebody in, in Wichita and I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden I feel this thump on the back of my bumper and, and I'm going 70 miles an hour. Yeah. Harley came up behind me without his lights on and he engaged my bumper and was pushing me down the freeway at a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> and wow. This Jose, the, the poor Puerto Rican, his eyeballs were as big as cue balls. And he goes, oh, amigo. And, and, and I'm just, I'm driving down the road and I says, holy Christ. And all of a sudden he disengaged and he passed on the shoulder. He was going about 115 on the shoulder. And, and my heart was going like this, you know, he's like, I got to give you the whole thing. Yeah, my heart's going like this when I get into the, into the locker room. And I walked by Harley, and he's already got his boots on. He says, Jimmy, how was your ride here? And I thought, uh. But, you know, I mean, can you imagine, you know, somebody pushing you down the turnpike at 100 miles an hour? Yeah, and, no kidding. And not, and, not, and not killing you. Yeah. Jesus. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love the other story you told in your book about, uh, <laughs> I think it was, uh, what was it? Murdoch and, and Dusty messing around with yeah. uh, with Cosro and putting him in the back of the Cosro in the back, yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and all over the place. 20 <laughs> degrees outside, and they're going 80, 90 miles an hour, and we're on our way to Minot or something like that. And uh, <laughs> and they're swerving on the road, and, and Cosro's crawling in the box, trying to, and he gets up to the backside of the window, and as soon as he goes to tap it, Murdoch hits the brake, you know, pumps the brakes, and Castro hits him, and he goes rolling backwards in the box, and and we're watching behind, and it was it was so hysterical, but it was so dangerous, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, and, then, and then when we finally got to the town, they stopped, so Castro jumped back in with us because he was a baby face, and Castro got back in. He says, "Jim," he says, "dirty." Dirty Dick and Dusty, not very funny with Cosro. That's not, not very funny. You know, that's what he said. And I said, you're right, Cosro. You're lucky they didn't kill you. Cosro was green at that point, right? He was just, just starting out. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he took, you know, he had a big neck. You know, he weighed 195 pounds when he started. And his neck was probably 21 inches. And he says, I have the strongest neck in professional wrestling, bar none, bar anybody. So we were at a bar one night, and he's pounding off about how strong his neck is. So Greg had had a couple of drinks, and Greg says, I, he says, you think your neck is the strongest? And he says, let me see. So Greg put, cups his hands behind his head like that, and he's standing up behind us in front of this pillar. And he says, try to break this, you know. So Cosro's going like this. And then all of a sudden, Greg lets go of his hands. And Cosro hits the back of the pillar with the back of his head. And his eyes crossed. And he went down to the floor. He didn't damn near knocked him out. Yeah. And that was a horrible joke to play on him. But, you know. He, I know. He, sort he, of, he was such a legitimate shooter. I mean, he what? He was in the, uh, 
Wasn't he on the Olympic team for Iran and Greco-Roman, I guess, too? or something Yeah, like he that? was, but I don't think he was in the Olympic. I think he was in Pan Am Games and okay, yeah, something maybe else. But he was like a national champion in, in yeah. 190 pounds. Yeah. And he was, you know, he could do all the suplexes and stuff like that. And, you know, he, he, it was funny because then when he said, when he started wrestling, he didn't do nothing in the ring. He, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, the stuff he did, you know, was just, <laughs> you know, it was. Well, he, he didn't was, have to do it. He was, he's a natural no. heat magnet, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, he, he drank a case of uh, uh, Heineken beer a day. And he, he probably smoked a half a bag of pot a day. <laughs> and then he got into the blow. Yeah. And he just, he. He became, he became absolutely uncontrollable. Right, right. He, no, he, yeah, he and uh, he, he and uh, Jim Duggan, they were working with each other, and they were on their way to Asbury Park, and they got stopped, and they had blow in the car, and and they were working against each other that night, and they got arrested, and they, I mean, that was nothing happened to them, but I mean, can you imagine that? You weren't even supposed to, you know, the heels and baby faces weren't even supposed to ride with each other. So I'm allowed, exactly. I, I'm shocked that, that was even allowed to happen because yeah, I know uh, it, it was funny. I think it was around 91. Uh, I was in Windsor Locks, Connecticut, right across from, from Bradley Airport. Uh, and I went over to Papa Gino's next door from Bradley Bowl. And I guess there was a house show in Hartford that night. Uh, Mark Calloway, The Undertaker, showed up there. Jimmy Hart was there, The Nasty Boys, and Hacksaw. Well, Taker was a heel because he just came into the to WWE at that point. So he was sitting with The Nasty Boys, and Hacksaw was sitting way across the other side of the restaurant and drove by himself because, you know, he didn't want to be seen, you know, mingling, right. you know, with, with the heels. So uh, that, was, that was a big deal back in the day. I think Bill Watts would fire, would fire people for that. Oh, so would Vern. Vern yeah. never wanted anybody, you know, he said, Hey, you know, that's part of the business you don't do, you know, you mm -hmm. just don't, you know, it's okay if you have a, a private party and you see him at, at his house and nobody else knows about it, but you don't, right. <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to explain other than, you know, a soap opera that, well, it's a work, you know, we're just doing this to draw money for, uh, you know, the house show are, you know, it's just, and, and it, it's funny because uh, at, at some point in the WWE, it didn't, it just really didn't matter anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, when Vince came out and said that it was sports entertainment, trying to get around the athletic commissions and stuff. Like exactly. That. So they wouldn't so they, tax them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that ruined it, you know, for everybody pretty much. Yeah. Like, at that point. Uh, yeah. But I mean, some of the old, some of the old guards still try to keep it around. But how did you feel about all that? You know, once once the internet came out, and I mean, you always had the dirt sheets. You always had Meltzer and Keller and guys like that trying to give inside info from from some of the boys or whatever. And a lot of times, I heard the boys were working them and giving them false information just to get themselves over. But how did yeah. how did you feel when all that came on? And you know, the fourth wall was pretty much you know broken down and. You know, people are using well, insider terms that, that were never in the business. You know, I just, 
I just remain the same. I just, uh, the way Vern taught us, you know, is more or less you never crack. You never yeah. admit, you know. Uh, you know, some point in, in my career at the very, very end, when it was exposed over and over again through the WWE, you know, I, I you know, I'd say, yeah, it's controlled. I said, right. it's controlled, but it's, you know, we, you know, you do hit each other and you do this and it's uh, a violent ballet. That's what it is. Yeah. And I said, these guys are, uh, you know, very talented uh, athletes and um, they're good at what they do. Right. Who were, who were some of your favorite guys to uh, to work with that you thought were really, really Bob great? Orton. Yeah. Bob Orton, uh, Bobby Heenan, uh, Nick Bockwinkle, um Ray Stevens was incredible. Uh, Pat Patterson was good. Uh, Bret Hart, I had I had some very good matches with him. He and I sort of wrestled the same. I, I remember we had a, uh, either a 20 or 30-minute draw in the spectrum in uh, – where the heck was that? Pittsburgh? No, not uh, Philly. 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 That's yeah. where the spectrum. Yeah. And it was a hell of a match. And we also had a good match uh, at the garden. And um, I remember uh, Brian and I actually had a couple real good matches with the Bulldogs and the Mounties. Um, and, you know, it, it, sometimes it was hard because, you know, we, we work with Morocco and uh, Bob Orton Jr. And at that time, they knew they were going nowhere. So they mm-hmm. really didn't want to, you know, they didn't really put out as much as they, they're capable of. So it was it was like pulling teeth, you know, trying to have a match with them. You know, and we just say, hey, come on, let's just have a match for God's sakes. You right. Know? And, and it, see, that's the difference between the WWE in the AWA or the Mid-Atlantic or Florida before the WWE in the different territories, guys knew their place in that territory. And they knew that everybody there wanted to give their best. They wanted to do the best they could as a heel and the best they could as a baby face because they would make more money. Right. But, yeah. At the at the WWE, there was no leadership because Vince didn't care. All he cared about was making money. He didn't care about he. You know, he just said, "Well, you know," and you know, Pat Patterson was a booker there, and George Scott, who was a horrible, horrible booker, <laughs> horrible. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, and I think I mentioned this in my book. Cosro and I had a little deal with the Mid Atlantic title. I was uh, I was heavyweight champion, and then he had beat me with his loaded boot on TV. So a week or two later, I wound up wrestling him on TV, and I put a sleeper on him, put him out, and I grabbed his boot, took it off of him, and I held that boot up, and I made a promo, and I says. I'm going to get my title back and I'm going to wear this boot. And I said, and if I have to use it, I will. So we have a, a, a match at a Norfolk um, auditorium. And it was, we had two shots at, it was on a Sunday. We had a shot in Norfolk and then we had a shot in Charlotte that night. So 
I get there and there's a good crowd, good crowd. And Sandy Scott, who was uh, one of the agents there for George and uh, Jimmy Crockett, he comes up to me and he says, did, you, did George tell you the finish? I said, no. I said, what is it? And he says, uh, George wants you to go do a Broadway, which is an hour draw. And I yeah. said, what? He says, yeah, an hour draw. I said, it'll fool everybody. I says, fool everybody? I said, <laughs> you might as well. I says, you might as well dig a, a grave right in the middle of the ring and throw me in it because I'll be dead. I said, if a baby face can't beat a heel with his own gimmick that he uses the folly, how else can I beat him? So we had a match, and Kazo right off the bat says, Jim, let me lead the match. And I said, okay. So he goofed up three spots in a row, and he says, Jim, you lead the match. So we, <laughs> we, believe it or not, we did an hour draw and then we did another hour draw that night in Charlotte. And I was beyond upset with George yeah. Scott. So about a week later, we're in a small town. I think it was Frederick, Frederick, something or other, North Carolina. And it was in an Indian reservation. Mm-hmm. So it's a spot show. So, I'm against Cosro and Sandy Scott's the agent there. And he says, well, you're going to do another Broadway tonight. And I looked at him. I said, you got to be kidding me. An hour draw in this spot show. (laughs) So he says, yeah. So I said, okay. So Cosro and I are going through. And then Cos says, oh, I hurt my back. I hurt my back, you know. So I thought he was legitimately hurt. So I says, I'll throw you outside, stay down, and take the count. So he took the count. I won by disqualification. You know, no belt changed or anything. Right. So the, the next day I get a call from George Scott, and he says, I want you to come in the office. So I go into the office, and he says, how come you didn't do the hour draw last night in that in that town? And I said, well, I says, Cosro hurt his back. And he says, no, he, he told me he didn't. So George Scott fired me. Oh no! For that, oh yeah. So did you ever talk to Cosgro about that and, and oh, yeah. ask him why he did that? Yeah, and he's he's you know when he tried to rationalize, he says, "Well, he says the heat was already on you. Why should I bring it back on me?" That's what his logic was. I said, "Oh God." Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, you, you talked about him. You know, not having to do much in the ring once he got up north. Uh, another guy like that was was Hulk. I mean, Hulk. Hulk was a good wrestler. I've seen oh. matches with him in Japan. You know, working great Muda and fantastic. He could chain wrestle. I mean, he could he could do what he could do everything. But he didn't have to he do did. that in WF because no. he was so over. Exactly. He he got so so over in Minneapolis. It was a blow to Vern Gagne's ego. Because all this time, Vern Gagne, the All-American athlete, the wrestling sensation was the champion off and on for 20 years. And all of a sudden, you get a, a, a bleach blonde, a bass player, you know, muscle-bound guy come in yeah. and just blow the town away. I mean, he he was – I've never seen anybody over like that. I mean, he drew the biggest houses in Minneapolis time after time after time after time. And yeah. and Vern just wouldn't, you know, give him the belt. 
And the whole the whole premise why Terry left was they, they had these T-shirts made up saying the real uh, AWA champions, Hulk Hogan. And they sold $40,000. That's what they owed Hulk. And Vern never paid him the money. And, mm-hmm. and Hulk says, are you going to pay me the money? And Vern said, no. So Hulk left. He just left and he went to New York and that was it. That was it. He never looked back. Yeah. And if, if Vern would have paid him that money and made him champion, the WWE would never would have been what it is today. Can you imagine that? If that, I mean, I know it's Monday morning quarterback, you know, armchair quarterback, but like, that's amazing to think that that one little thing changed wrestling history forever. Well, and another thing, Hulk loved Minneapolis because you only had to work 12 times a month. Yeah. And they were all big towns and he had time off. <clears throat> right. You know, you know, there's yeah, an age was- old, there's an age old question about, you know, who really got WWF over? Was it, was it Vince? Was it Hulk? Could you have one without the other? W- what do you think? Do you think it was a, uh, no, there's no question that 85% of the success was Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I mean, you know, Vince was a conduit, but he couldn't have done it without Hulk. Hulk was a golden goose. Nobody, I, I mean, and they, 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 I mean, he was, you know, 24 hours a day, he was on call. I mean, he did, they flew him around and, and jet planes left and right and this and that. And they, you know, I mean, I don't know how he did. Well, I know how he did it. He was making all that money. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, pre- it's pretty easy to sacrifice your time if you're going to get rewarded for that. And, right. he, you know, I mean, he was, there was nobody like him. Nobody. I mean, he just, he was the greatest, you yeah. know, and, and, and actually for what he did in the ring, it got over so well, you know, and that hulking up and all that. And, you know, I mean, it, 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 it sort of defied uh, what the rest of us were doing because a lot of us were doing stuff that, you know, was athletic and, you know, was more of a, you know, a competitive type deal where he came in there and all of a sudden, you know, they, They'd follow him and they beat him up, and all of a sudden he'd hulk up, and you know, and then it'd be, you know, boom, 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 and he'd throw him in for the big boot, and then he dropped the leg, and that was it. Yeah, you know, but it. Yeah. that was it. I mean, he just, and then you know, he could talk, yeah. and he was, I, you know, he Vince McMahon, hmm. <laughs> I, 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 you know, he was very fortunate you know, yeah. that things worked out the way they did. And um, he, you know, was probably involved and instigated a lot of demise of a lot of young talent, mm-hmm. you know, through just his lack of, of compassion for the human being in terms of what your body can do. I mean, right. there was a, all of us did that. I mean, you know, can you imagine, you know, 27 days a month, Rob, for three and a half years straight. And sometimes, you know, we went 50 some days in a row without a day off. Yep. That's insane. We flew, we flew every single day. And, you know, it was a time when you'd fly out to the West coast and you'd start, you know, 
uh, up in Northern California. And it was relief because you drove all the way down uh, into LA and then you'd take a flight to, you know, Phoenix and then you'd go home after that. And it was enjoyable. A matter of fact, Brian and I took our wives in California and we spent the whole week together and had a great time, spent time in San Francisco and went to the wine country and, you know, all as we made the town every night. And that was, that was fine. But um, there was other cases when, when it wasn't fine, you know, then and it, you know, I mean, we were you know, just flying every day. And, and the only thing they paid for was the airfare. You paid for mm-hmm. your motel and you paid for your rent a car and you paid for your booze and you paid for your food. And I remember having legit expenses, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year with 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 all the you know receipts to show it. Yeah. I mean now you got guaranteed contracts, you have they have catering every event. I'm assuming you guys didn't have catering back in the day, right? Just just for big shows, you know, yeah. once in a while they'll have food if, you know, that we could eat. I remember towards the end of my run, you know, when I was uh, 93 or 94, when they brought me in a couple times, a couple guys got hurt. And I, I'd come in and I remember, it, you know, TV, they'd always have, you know, food for us. And then, um, but, uh, you know, that just goes goes with the deal. If you're going to be there all day, how the heck can you go and get something to eat? You know, right. I mean, if you're going to be at the, at the stadium or at the auditorium and you're going to do interviews all day and then wrestle that night, I mean, they have to cater the food. Right. Right. Now, back in the day, you know, you guys would spend, you know, uh, a weekend doing TV, you know, they would tape several oh. shows back back and put them on syndication, but, you know, once once Raw launched and they they were live every week, uh, they weren't doing as many cities uh, as they normally would. TV kind of dictated no. where they would go. They'd still do you know house shows here and there, but the schedule had changed quite a bit since when you know you guys were running it back in the eighties. Why do you think Vince kind of lightened the schedule for everybody? Did was it just because of TV or was it because Probably yeah. the, the, the not, whole logistics. The boys, right? It's all about. Yeah, all no, about- it's all about the logistics of the TV and, yeah. and you know, flying this and flying that. And I remember, you know, at each TV, Rob, they you get an envelope with your name on it and there was airplane tickets, you know, for two or three weeks in a row. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, you know, they had their own travel service. So. Right. You know, they booked all this stuff, and oh man, yeah. You know, when I look back at it, I, I I really don't know how we did it because, you know, you just you got in the it was sort of a groove, and then you just did it. Right, right. Who were some of your favorite enhancement guys to work with? Like you know, Dusty Wolf or Barry Horowitz or oh Iron Mike gosh, Sharp. oh Iron Mike Sharp. He. Iron Mike Sharp hit me in the mouth with an elbow and cracked two roots of my teeth. And <laughs> cons- consequently, I had to have um, two root canals, and then those teeth died, and I had to have <laughs> I had to have a, a bridge put in. But 
Mike was a good guy. And, you know, he died just, what, a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah. Nice guy. And, um, you know, his dad worked. And he was a tough son of a gun in the ring. I mean, he beat the yeah. dark side out of you. And, uh, you know, he, he was, he was good. And there was, I, I'm trying to think of who we used to have a couple good guys that we used to work with that, you know, really, you know, Barry Horowitz was, uh, he's, uh, you know, he'd always tap himself on the back, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it was yeah. part of his deal, you know, yeah. I said, Hey, Barry, and he'd go like that. Yeah. It was a good match. Wasn't it? I'm tapping myself on the back, <laughs> but, and, and, and another um, good worker who, recently died was Barry Orton. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. he was, yeah. he was good in the ring. He just, you know, he was undersized and he had a lot of good, you know, he, he had good timing and just, it never, you know, they never did anything with him, but he was good. Um, geez. I can't really think of anybody that stands out. You know, other than Mike Sharp and you know Barry, and I, I know there was a couple other guys there, but um, you know, and we all tried to have good matches with them too. I mean, yeah. there wasn't any guzzling, you know. You try to give them a, a, a and have a match, you know, let them yeah. heal you and, and then make a comeback and you know do something and and not just beat them outright, but you know, sort of trick them and. And boom, a quick one, two, three, and they kick out. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. But then you got guys like your buddy Barry Darso and uh, and Bill Eady, Demolition, just beating, <laughs> looking like they're beating well, crap out of it. <laughs> well, you know, actually the Road Warriors, you Them know, too. Were, yeah. were, were the instigators of that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they went in the ring and they just pulverized guys and, and, and they did. I mean, they, they didn't take care of them and, you know, consequently, I, I tell you, though, it's funny because toughest guy who I ever came across uh, in wrestling, in bar anybody, I mean, football, any sport, was Haku. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. He, like, you know, yeah, I tell you, if you if you cause any problem with him, he, he would hurt you. I mean, yeah. he, he'd, he'd almost hurt you. Hurt you. Yeah. Well, what's his name? Uh, the, the kid from Oregon. Uh, Shoot, he went. To, he went as the Funk Brothers. I'm trying to think of his name now. Damn near pulled his eye out of him. Uh, Cripe, he was from Oregon. What the heck was it? Jesse. Um, Jesse Barr. Yes. Jesse Barr. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jesse Barr. Yeah, he and he and uh, uh, Haku got in a fight, and <laughs> Haku took, went outside and, and slammed him on the concrete, and then drove his thumb right through his eye. Yeah, yeah. I, and I mean, Haku, a, and nobody messed with him. I mean, <clears throat> these tough guys, you know, I mean, like the road warriors and these, if they, if they thought that they had to mess with him, they, they everybody gave him respect because he yeah. was, I mean, he, he would, he, I remember we were in a bar in Cleveland and it was this, um, uh, there was this guy, uh, Slaughter. Uh, he was a wide receiver. He had a bar downtown, and, and the, the football players and the wrestlers would go there. So Brian and I are there, and Haku was sitting next to us. And Haku used to drink 
uh, cognac and Coke. Mm-hmm. And he had a couple of them. And there was a couple of the uh, Browns football players that were sitting behind us. And, and they were big guys, too. And yeah. they're yakety yak about wrestling. Nah, 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 you know, how wrestling's this and wrestling's funny. And all of a sudden, yeah, cool. He sits there and he puts his drink down and he says, that's it. He walked over to him and he, he looked at him and he says, fellas, he says, you're here for a good time. We're here for a good time. I want to say one thing. He says, if I hear any more shit about wrestling, there's going to be trouble. And they didn't say nothing. Nothing. And he walked back, and that was it. Nobody said nothing about wrestling again. And these guys were, you know, 300 pounds. There was two or yeah. three of them that were. And, you know, that, that's the type of guy Haku was. He he wouldn't care. I mean, he, he'd he let you have it. And he, he, he'd try to kill you. You know, yeah. he'd, he'd, he'd grab your throat and try to pull it out. <laughs> and, and he was 6'3 and 295 pounds. He was agile as a son of, I remember when I worked with him in Japan and he was 18 years old and he was a little thinner. He was probably two thirty then. And he was, he was training to be a sumo and he was working for Baba and I was working in this match. All of a sudden something, you know, and you didn't talk too much, you know, because of the Japanese and he could speak about four languages. All of a Mm -hmm. sudden he threw me off and, and he hit me with a drop kick. And I thought I was, I, 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 he damn near knocked me out. And as as he went to cover me and kicked me out, I says, I'm supposed to give those, not take those. And he looked at me and he smiled. <laughs> but, but he was he was only 18 years old then. And he was, wow. oh. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's and, and he, he's down in uh, Kissimmee, Florida, or Kissimmee, whatever it's called. And yeah. he, he was selling, I think, cars he's been selling cars but i saw him oh god we're in a what, town i yeah what the, hell, what the hell they do try to scare people into getting cars <laughs> yeah well i don't know there must have been some uh, tanganese <laughs> or south island people in that part of uh florida yeah, that, yeah. you know yeah he, he he was intimidating to say that i can't imagine he was, car from that, he was that. Yeah, he was a nice guy, and he said, oh, he said, I put my wife through so much problems, and he says, I just thank God she loves me, you know, and he has his kids there, and uh, I, I just, I thought, oh, boy, I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> nobody <laughs> nobody wanted any piece of Haku. Uh, another intense guy uh, was, was Randy Savage. Did you have uh, many dealings with him when you were up there, up in New York? You know, I felt sorry for Randy because, you know, he, his dad, who, you know, had had wrestled down south all of his career, and uh, I think it was Angelo Poffo, and he had sort of instilled in um, Randy to, you know, to do this and do that. Never He never bought anything on a credit card. I always paid cash. Mm-hmm. And he was very intense in the ring. And I wound up working with him on a raw. And that's when Scary Sherry, this was before I think, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth was there, but Sherry was his, whatever it was, valet or whatever. But yeah. we had a match. We had a match. And it was, I think it was 90. It had to be 93 or 94. 
And Randy said to me, he says, Jim, we're going to have a good match. And I said, well, good. I said, you know, I, and, and I, I, I took the big splash off the top rope, but so in the very beginning, I got an arm drag on him and boom, boom, boom. And I shoot, he throws me off and boom. And I dropped down and I hit him with a drop kick and boy, I hit him right in the mouth and he gets up and his blood's coming out of his mouth. I hit him right in the lips. And I thought, Oh boy, here we go. But he handled it very professionally and we had a hell of a match. And honest to God, this is the truth, Rob. When, mm-hmm. when we, and this was on TV. When I, when we walked out of that match and he was waiting for me, you know, he went out first and I, you know, came out, uh, he shook my hand and Vince McMahon came up to us. And I don't know if he was blowing smoke or what, but he says, fellas, he says, that was the best TV match I've seen in years. Wow. That's what he said. Yeah. And I don't know if he would, you know, it was just blowing smoke or what, but it was a good match. And you can actually watch that. You can see that match, Jim Brunzel and Randy Savage on whatever. It's available on YouTube. But Randy was so good. You know, he had a good match, you know, and, and you know, didn't try to guzzle me or nothing like that. And, you know, he was the type of guy that was, like I said, you know, taught at a young age by his dad never to trust anybody. Right. And that's the way he was. And he was frugal as hell. You know, everything, you know, he bought a condo down in Florida, paid cash. He bought two Cadillacs, paid cash. Everything he paid cash for. Nobody yeah. did that. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm definitely going to check that out for sure. I felt bad for him, you know, because, you know, yeah. and then, you know, I felt bad because he just, you know, I think he wanted to have kids and I think he wanted to have a, a normal life, but it just, it, 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 it never worked out for him. Um, yeah, I, I was going to ask you, and we'll we'll wrap it up here in a second. I could talk to you all night. I love hearing your stories. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll probably you know we'll have to do more of this again. But it's always good to have a great woman behind you. Yes. And a lot of guys that you worked with were married and obviously had extracurricular activities. Uh, you know, I won't single anybody out, but there was some some playboys, you know, on 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 tour and. Uh, end up getting divorced and obviously Rick, you know, had several divorces and, you know, Jake, you know, divorced his wife and all that, but you have had the same uh, wife for what'd you say? 40, 30 some years, 40 years, 46. What was the secret behind keeping your marriage, you know, together when you're on the road? Well, I think you just have to realize your priorities. I yeah. mean, you know, I, I, I think you 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 have a, a foundation, you know, between your your wife, and uh, you realize that, and you know, you know, wrestling is like any any other part of society. I mean, there's temptations everywhere, whether it be drugs or, you know, booze or uh, women or whatever. You know, it it you know, wrestling is is part of the society and, and we're prone to everything that everybody else is. And it just, it takes a strong um, union and a relationship between a man and a wife. And, and I, I, so many times I saw on the road that uh, I think a lot of it was, you know, maybe frustration, but 
uh, then again, a lot of it was uh, the opportunity was there. You know, I mean, there. You know, you're on TV, and you know, people, you know, put you on a pedestal, and and you know, I mean, that happens, and the, and that, like I say, that happens in other, you know, uh, forms of entertainment, and 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 wrestling's no different. So it just, you know, it's just like uh, you have to, uh, you know, realize what's important to you, and then you just live by that standard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God bless her for. I've been very. Oh, I'm 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 so fortunate. I'm I'm so fortunate. I mean, I think. I matter of fact, I I in my book, I I dedicate that book to Mary because, you know, yeah. without her, I mean, both she, you know, she raised those kids. I have, you know, my daughter has got two master's degrees, got a wonderful, great job. Two two young uh, uh, grandsons. You know, one's an exceptional soccer player who's been invited to play as a sophomore in Greece next, uh, next month oh, for cool. a U.S. US select team. And then um, my son just, uh, he's been in the film business. He is uh, uh, a film director of festivals, film festivals. And he just took a job with uh, Mississippi, University of Mississippi, uh, and he's going to be living in Oxford, Mississippi. And, you know, being a Minnesota kid, I told him I said, better take, change those license plate, you know. But he was down in Mississippi, and he's he's going to be running their uh, festival down there. And, uh, you know, he loves that. And, and we were so fortunate, you know, that all of us have been in pretty good health. Yeah. And, you know, that's it really in a nutshell, Rob. If, if you have your health, You've got a lot of wealth because there's so many people I, you know, and as you get, you know, I'm going to be 72 in August. And when you, I look at, I, I just had lunch with, uh, I told him my teammate um, and uh, we had 17 to 20 guys from our football team that are dead. And, you know, Man. I mean, you know, and, and even though it's been 50 years, but, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, we're we're on the back nine of playing, you know, in our lives. So you have to realize that, and every day is a gift, and uh, you just try to, uh, you know, uh, make the uh, the best of it, and uh, yeah, you know, thank uh, thank the Lord above that, you know, you can get up every day and have your faculties. Yeah, and it's great that you still have. Uh you know, your, your wits about you and you're, you're able to remember all these stories and, and stuff like that. And Brian is too. I love hearing stories from him, but uh, you guys are still in tremendous shape. I know Brian works out every day and you know, you don't, you do not look 72 years old and uh, it looks like you still stay in, in pretty good shape. Uh, do you, do you work well, out? I, I still work. I still work out, but you know, I've had, I've had six surgeries on my knees. I've had my both knees up. replaced my hip and one shoulder and then the other shoulder, this uh, fall has to be replaced. So, you know, I do what I can, you know, as far as working out and, and basically, um, you know, I, I, when I go, you know, I can't lift nearly the weights that I used to, but what I do is I make it a cardio deal. I go and then I'll do, you know, maybe uh, six sets of, 
seated bench presses. I'll do lightweight, you know, 80 pounds, 100 pounds, but I'll do it without stop. You know, I'll, I'll rest maybe 10 seconds, do another set. Then I'll go from there. So I get done with, I'll do my chest, shoulders, and triceps, and I'll be done in 20 minutes. And I got a good workout. I got a good pump. I still take my supplements. I take, yep. I take, matter of fact, you know what my doctor told me, What's Rob, that? and this is the truth. He told me I have the most expensive urine in Vanda Sites, Minnesota, because <laughs> of all the supplements that I take. <laughs> That's what he told me. But I, I, you know, we have shot glasses. Marion has her six shot glasses, and I have mine. And there's yeah. twenty to twenty-five, you know, capsules in there, and and they do the whole limit. I'm I'm doing stuff for, you know, fighting <laughs> off Alzheimer's, and I'm doing yeah. stuff for joints, and you know. Yeah. But you have to do that. I've been doing yeah. it for, you know, 30 years. So, yeah, well, that's good. That's I mean, it that's, is. Yeah. I'm glad you're, you're smart about that because, you know, I saw pictures of Kenny Patera recently and, and you wouldn't even you wouldn't even recognize him. I mean, he used to be a world class power yeah. lifter. Well, and now, you know, I mean, I know everybody gets old, but I, I, I didn't even have a clue, you know, who it was, you know, big, you know, yeah. brave. And you know, it looks like he you know put on some weight, but yeah, it's, well, he he it's went up to three forty yeah. pounds. Yeah, you know, and 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 you know, he's had both hips and knees. No, right, yeah. and you know, he likes his light beer. He starts at ten in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> and he's a character. He, yeah, I, I'll never forget. Um, Brian called me, uh, and you know, he he's the president of Cauliflower Alley, mm-hmm. and he says. He says, Patera's donated some money. And he says, all of a sudden, he, he called me and he says, you know, I've never got any award, you know, for being a wrestler and this and that. And so uh, Brian says to me, what do you think we should do? And I says, well, I says, I, th- I think what we should do is we should have a uh, award and a trophy of of a finger like this on a, on a man and yeah. then have the caption, the last angry man, Ken Patera, because that suits him. He's, he's the last angry man, you know, <laughs> and he's, he's a character. Honestly, God, he's still, and you know, Ken Patera is a smart person. Yeah. He is very intelligent, but he is, he's so his politics and, and, and he's, you know, I, I, I've known him so long and he hasn't changed a bit, but he used to call our house and he'd be hammered, and he'd leave all these horrible voicemails, <laughs> you know, <laughs> F this and F that and that MF, and, you know, and he was, and then, and then, so Mary says to me, please tell Ken not to leave any more voicemails, because, you know, this is when you had that deal, and you press it, and it had all the voicemails for the day. Yes, yes. So I told him, I says, Ken, I says, for God's sakes, don't leave any more voicemails because, you know, you're swearing and this and that, and Mary gets them. So then about a week later, he gets drunk. He calls up, leaves a voicemail for Mary, and he says, Mary, I, he says, I'm sorry that I said all that effing <laughs> words and, and G did this and Z did that, and then he hung up, you know. But... <laughs> I see him once in a while, and he 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 told me he was three forty, and then he lost fifty some pounds, so he was two, you know, two sixty or something. But 
you know, he's, 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 he's not, uh, he's not got much going. He, you know, his kids, he's, he's got two daughters and he's tried to help them out. And consequently, you know, he worked up until a couple of years ago and he, he was making like 70 grand a year selling the, these uh, cutters that cut uh, commercial rock. There's mm-hmm. great big greats. So he lost that. And he just told me, I saw him a couple months ago. I stopped in to see him and he told me, he says, you know, he says, Jimmy, I'm broke. He says, I'm living off social security. And, you know, he says, my kids, I've tried to help them out. And I bought them a farm and I've done this. And so, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, that's why I love things like, you know, the cauliflower Island club that do, try to help some of the guys that are down on their luck or sick or whatever, or, you know, help people's family. <laughs> Somebody passes. I mean, they, they do, yeah. they do a great job helping the boys out. Did you hear about his experience at Cauliflower Alley? No. When they, when they gave him the award? No, well, he had been, he'd been drinking two days straight and he was playing. I can't remember blackjack or something or slots. And he comes to the award and he had uh, sweatpants on and the same t-shirt that he had on uh, two days earlier when he got there and he's playing. And here's what he's, this is the honest gospel truth. He says right off the bat, he gets the word and he says, oh, I want to tell you something right now. He says over in that corner, he says, I couldn't make it to the bathroom. So he said, I had to pee in the carpet on the corner over there. That's what he said. And honest to God. And then he goes on and on. He goes on and on, and he's 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 just rambling. And Greg Gagne says, "Ken, please!" You know, he's yelled to him. Yeah. And Ken says to Greg, "He says, Greg Gagne, you shut up, or else I'll take back everything good I said about you." That's what he <laughs> said on the mic. You know. So finally, he got off, and I thought, "Oh God!" You know, and oh, and, and Brian Blair, who's the you know the president, thought, "Oh right. yeah, yeah." But here, you know, he peed in the corner. <sighs> wrestling. Yeah. You got you yeah. got to love wrestlers, right? I mean, they're a different breed. Uh, sure for are. sure. Yeah, for sure. That's, yeah. Well, Brunzi, I appreciate you taking this time out with me. Uh, I know we, we probably went longer than, than expected. But <laughs> I, mean, I, I could talk to you all night. It's like. Well, you know, I, I enjoy talking, uh, Robin. And it's always good to reminisce. And, and I know you're a big fan. And, and I, I appreciate your. You know, have me on, and um, I'll continue uh, sending you those. I got a great one uh, for tomorrow uh, on a Bruce video. I'll send it to you. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to that. Looking forward okay. to that. Um, is there anything you want to plug before you go? Or Well, just just the book. You know, it's available at Blurb, uh, B-L-U-R-B, and uh, all you have to do is punch that in and then put Matlands. And it'll rent, uh, send you right there. It's twenty five bucks, and uh, I don't know, a couple dollars, you know, in shipping. And and uh, I, like I said, I'm gonna order. Uh, I think twenty five or thirty more books. I it was funny because I went out to this um, live auction out in Connecticut, and uh, for six hours, I I all I did was sign and and. I sold three pair of tights, Rob, $650 a pair of tight. oh, wow. tights. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Black, yeah, the bead tights. And then I sold 20 of my books. 
And, you know, I made like 600 bucks an hour for wow. five or six hours. And I thought, geez, this is a That's great gig, you know. But people, then I ran out of books. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people people still love you. I mean, people remember the good old days, the golden era. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, you know. And I, I was, like I say, I was very fortunate. I mean, um, I took care of myself while, while I was in the business. It was important to me to you know, be in the best shape I could. I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I used drugs. Everybody did. I used steroids. I used, you know, painkillers and uh, stimulants and, yeah. and um, like everybody, because that was the culture. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you just had to do it just to get by, but thank God I never got hooked on any of it. And, you know, it hasn't had any lasting effect on me other than, you know, the 5,000 matches that I had in 27 years, I'm sure I'm going to wind up with a little bit of uh, CTE or, you mm -hmm. know, um, Alzheimer's, you know, eventually, but hopefully not. You know, yeah, yeah. Hopefully not. Yeah. So, but other than all the surgeries, I mean, how do you feel when you wake up? I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I feel pretty good. You know, it's just, I, I, I've gotten into wine. I like wine and, and, you know, I probably drink a little too much wine than I should. Yeah. And, uh, other than that, uh, you know, I, I, I maintain my weight. I'm still, you know, 220, 225. And, uh, it's, although it is getting harder to walk, you know, my knees are, you know, it's just, you know, I, they just, uh, I've had, uh, probably so much surgery in my knees mm -hmm. that the blood flow is through scar tissue is just not right. And I have a lot of neuropathy in my knees and down into my ankles. So, but that, you know, it could be worse. It could be in the head. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. <laughs> other than that. Yeah. I, hey, I'm very lucky. I had a great career, got a great family. Uh, I had, um, you know, a, a great uh, upbringing and I, I just feel very, very fortunate that you know that the good lord smiled on me and my family well you're one of the good guys jimmy and i you know i i treasure you know anytime we ever get to talk and we we definitely got to keep in touch i'm horrible about I will. yeah <laughs> well me too hey everybody's got their own thing you know and everybody's busy and yeah. you know things happen but yeah. you know i'll do this and you know every other couple months for you or a year or six months i, I enjoy talking wrestling I appreciate it. And I love hearing the stories too. So, and I'm sure you're good. But, uh, <laughs> thanks for coming yeah, on, Jimmy. I really okay. do appreciate it. And uh, I'll keep in touch with you. Okay, Rob. Thank you. Right. Peace. Peace, yep. Peace yep. buddy. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go. Jumping Jim Brunzel. Fantastic guy. Spaceman, I'm so sorry. I forgot your question to ask him. I'll, I'll definitely. I'll definitely ask him. I'll email him or text him and ask him, and I'll I'll report back to you. But uh, su such a great guy, he really is. I could talk to him all night long. It's like he, he's one of those guys. It's like I've known him for years, you know, and I've only known him for you know about a year since the last time he was on my show. But like I said, he he emails me every week, you know, sending me a you know positive note or a link to his Bruce Springsteen song. <clears throat> Just such a such a cool guy. Like I told him, I said, you know, growing up as a, as a wrestling fan as a kid. Uh, it's, it's kind of cool that I, you know, one, you know, the killer bees are my friends. I, I, I talked to his old partner, B Brian Blair down in Florida. He lives, uh, right near my dad. So, uh, when I go visit him, we're going to, we're going to hook up, but you know, I never thought as a kid and I'm not, I'm not, you know, 
blowing smoke up my own ass or, or trying to name drop, but you know, just just the fact that I have, you know, former wrestlers' phone numbers, you know, that I, I could talk to, you know, you know, or text every now and then or whatever. It's just, it's just a cool thing. That's what I really love about technology, you know, especially with uh, you know video calls and and, and texting and, and all that. It's it's uh, it's a cool deal, uh, and I don't take any of it for granted. I'm still, even though I don't watch wrestling anymore, uh, you know, I usually go on the network and watch the older stuff because uh, it reminds me of you know when times are good. You know, when I was a kid, uh, but you know, growing up a, a, a fan uh, for you know thirty plus years, and, and to be able to talk to some of my heroes. That I grew up watching on TV. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. I will never ever take that for granted. Especially talking to, you know, the great guys we have here. You know, with with Ben Amin and uh, you know Big Ray. I want to do some stuff with with the Man Beast. Uh, you know, Doctor Ted. Yeah, you know, I, I, I you know, Rip Rogers. I'd love to have a conversation with him. Uh, you know, Stevie Richards, Stevie Ray, everybody we have. I mean. I was fortunate enough to, to talk to Vince Russo and, you know, exchange numbers and text him every now and then. I mean, it's just, it's a cool deal. It's a cool deal. I, deep down inside, I still love professional wrestling, and I always will. You know, I, I still check out videos from, from the current product. I might watch a SmackDown every now and then, but to sit through a three-hour show like Raw, fuck, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. It just insults my intelligence as a wrestling fan. Uh, you know, just in watching AEW, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't, I can't. I mean, there's, it's funny. There's so much wrestling going on nowadays. Everybody says, oh, it's the greatest time to be a wrestling fan. Why? Because you have 15 hours of content. Just because you have 15 hours of content doesn't make it good. And a lot of it is not good. And, and maybe that's just me being an old fogey and, and loving, I don't know, loving the old days of, you know, telling a fucking story in the ring and having great psychology and doing things that make sense instead of just what is the next fucking spot? You know, how can you top this? And then you got 26 people injured in AEW in the last year. Somebody's doing something wrong and no one is held accountable. And I'm going, I'm going to go, I, I got off my soapbox because I can, I can rant about this all night, but uh, this show went longer than expected, but it was still fun uh, because Jumping Jim Brunzel is a class act. He's a super, super nice guy. I'm proud to call him a friend. Uh, and I, I could listen to his stories all night long. Uh, he's just, he just, he's that damn good. Uh, so like I said, coming up, uh, hopefully uh, Friday night as I'm recording this tomorrow night on the 11th of June, I hope to have JB uh, Javed on here um, from the Cage Theory podcast. Uh, hopefully he'll be on to talk our favorite TV shows and sitcoms from the 80s. Uh, and then I do believe I have Colin Weissong coming on next Wednesday. And then next Thursday, I'll have uh, indie promoter from the Northeast, Joe Davis. Uh, hashtag Team JD. Uh, he wants to talk Bret Hart. Uh, so we'll have, we'll have good conversations next week. Uh, and as we do every other week, right here on the Rad Rob Radio Network and HMG. Looking forward to getting on Realm here, uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks transitioning over there so we can get all of our shows back out uh you know on on the platforms uh because pod you know fucked us over but that's another story for another day but i'm looking forward to uh to working with uh vince russo's team as he takes over realm and uh, lots of big things are coming up here so 
Uh, guys, you can check me out on Twitter at RadRobGaming. I'm also a Twitch gaming streamer. I stream Super Mario Maker 2 mostly. Uh, that's every Tuesday night and Saturday night, 6 p.m. Central, 7 Eastern, 5 Pacific, twitch.tv slash RadRobGaming. I also have a YouTube gaming channel called Rad Rob Gaming. Uh, I have several thousand videos for you, <laughs> for you to watch on there. Uh, but in any event, uh, I'll be back here for another edition of RTW Rewind next week. And if you want to check out my other podcast, RTW Main Event, that is my comedy slash variety show uh, with the Ocho, uh, where we barely talk wrestling. It, it's, it's, a, it's a fun hour, hour and a half, eh, maybe two hours every now and then. Uh, we're just me and uh, Ocho just just ad-libbing and, and, and improving and, and just cutting it up. I mean, we don't plan shit, pretty much. Uh, we have a bullshit session, and then the first segment or second segment, we'll have a, uh, a funny top five segment where we have a champion and all that, and we have bridging storyline. I book it like a wrestling show. Uh, so anyway, it, it's a fun listen. RTW main event. That's anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, that drops every Thursday. Uh, and then the audio version of Rewind, Drops every Sunday on my own network, the Rad Rob Radio Network, and HMG affiliate feed. Lots of stuff for you to listen. Go check out my catalog. Lots of great interviews like this one with uh, with Jimmy Brunzel. I've had B. Brian Blair on twice. Uh, Dr. Tom, Vince Russo, Sean Mooney, uh, PCO. Uh, tons of guys. Jimmy Cordero's events several times. So uh, good stuff from my archives if you want to check that out. Uh, that's anywhere podcasts are found. Just search RTW or RTW Main Event, or RTW Rewind, uh, and that'll come up uh, for your listening pleasure. I'm done rambling. I'm about to go put the kid to bed and put myself to bed because it's 9.30 and I'm old. Uh, so thanks, you guys, for lot watching here on HMG. And for everybody listening on the audio feed, I appreciate all your support. I really, really do. I don't take any of this for granted. If two people listen to my show, that's two people more than listened last week. No, I'm just kidding. I appreciate it, guys. We'll see you next time. Have a good night. Take care. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of RTW Rewind. For all the latest news and announcements, please follow us on Twitter at RTW Brand. You can also follow Rad Rob at Rad Rob Gaming. You've been listening to RTW Rewind exclusively here on HMG on Realm and the Rad Rob Radio Network.